I feel good about it. Do you? Amen. I believe this is the beginning of a great, great, wonderful time together. We're going to really get acquainted. Especially, I want you to get acquainted with the Lord in a greater way. Praise God. And if we can be of any service, any help to you during these next few days, that's exactly what we want to be. I might say that I didn't expect the response to the charts to be as good as it is. I do have a few more in the, in the room I didn't bring this morning. So if you didn't get any and they're all gone, why well, just wait till tomorrow morning and I'll have some more for you. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's like the last few are going right now. Thank God. <laughs> oh, Put it over here somewhere, brother. Thank the Lord. Everybody love the Lord. Say praise the Lord. Amen. Now this study, as you see, has been taught before. Fact is, Brother Price, as we were taking this uh, chart down out of its box and so forth, he said, I said, what he said, what are you going to teach on? I said, two natures, the old nature, new nature. He said, it looks like that chart's the old nature. <laughs> it's really seen its best days, hasn't it? The Lord gave me this, oh, I suppose 20 years ago, and uh, we've used it. Others have borrowed it, and uh, I've taught it in numbers of places. And uh, so the chart itself, as you can see, is, has been used and faded. I plan to get it repainted, never did. But uh, I think as we go along, I want God to talk to us. Uh, this is not the study Brother Price wanted me to teach, frankly. Brother Price was overruled. I felt I had to teach it. I don't know why. It isn't the only thing in the Bible. But I felt I had to teach it. I feel like God wants it. And um, I want you to pray that God will use it for his glory. Praise God. I believe we're going to find out a few things during this camp meeting. The Word of God is going to instruct us. We're going to know where we stand with God. We're going to know why at times we fail. And know the secret of victory. That's the thing I want. Not just why I fail. I know I fail at times. But I want to know how to get the victory, don't you? And keep it when you get it. And that's the reason for this study, to find a place in God of victory. Hallelujah. A secret of knowing God in such a way that we can have victory. Because we're facing tremendous times. And uh, the, the, these are days that we've never lived before. Days like the world has never seen before. People say all things continue as they have been. Oh, no. No, no. That's not true. I was talking to Brother Price this morning. It just last, just a few days ago. One million people were snuffed out, up to one million people were snuffed out in an earthquake in China. We don't know the exact numbers. We do know a major city has been wiped off the face of the earth. And uh, the, the, almost the same newspaper told us about a brand new disease that mankind has never known before. 25 people have been killed and about 100 sick. They don't know where it came from. 
or where it originated or what it is. They think they might uh, have it isolated. They don't know yet. But the Bible says that there shall be earthquakes and pestilences in diverse places. The same newspaper told us about people that were in a canyon having a vacation in Colorado, right close to you here. And all of a sudden, somebody came through and said they had five minutes to get out of there. There was a wall of water 12 feet high coming down that canyon. They couldn't get out in time, and between 200 and 500 people were swept away by a wall of water 12 feet high going down a vacation canyon up in, the, in, in Colorado. But the people in China are terrified and panic-stricken because two major earthquakes wiped the city off the face of the earth and a million people, up to a million people, are killed. They don't know how many. But the aftershocks are continuing and gradually working their way to the capital city of China, Peking. But the thing that terrifies them is they don't know Jesus. And in last March, in the same area, there was a shower of meteors such as has not been known since the 16th century or 17th century. A shower of meteors fell in that same area of China. And they think it's a sign to them that there are, there's something happening. They don't know what. And I believe I know what it is. I believe Jesus wants this world to know that he's in charge. And that he's on his way, hallelujah. And he's going to be here one of these days. And I'm going to get out of here, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank God. These are signs to us. We, the, the world says, I don't see anything but blackness. It looks worse and worse. Yes? Watchman, what of the night? What's it like? It says, the night cometh, also the morning. For us, it's the morning. For the world, it's the darkness. Hallelujah. So, thank God for watchmen. They'll tell us some things. Let us know what the Word of God says. We need to know we're living in the last days. Amen. So that's one reason why this study is so important. We'd better know how to live a victorious life and be ready for the coming of the Lord. Don't you believe that? I need to know. You need to know. We better know. Hallelujah. And I want us to pray before we start. Uh, I might say I was in Western Canada. Uh... I was only home a week before coming here. And when I got home, I, I had something in my throat. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a difference in climate, but my voice is not good. And I seldom have this problem. I generally have a good, strong, loud, clear voice. And so I'm laboring under difficulties because my voice is not strong. And uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, God knows, and uh, he's going to help us. You believe it? I want you to pray with me right now that the Holy Ghost will take over this service. Amen. Let's pray together, everybody, right now. Dear Jesus, let thy spirit move right now for the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Oh, shatanam asalah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In Jesus' name. <laughs> oh, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Praise God. We believe you, Lord, for thy touch. Thy wonderful touch. 
Amen, amen. You know, I'm feeling mighty good. I really am. That message last night did something to me. I want heaven to be open, don't you? Have visions of God. Hallelujah. Get your eyes on everything else, but how many have their eyes on Jesus? Praise the Lord. Let's get our eyes on him this morning. Thank God. We're in camp meeting in Kansas right now. Hallelujah. We're going to have ourselves a time. Glory to God. Thank God. All right. You may be seated. Now, I, I wanted you to stand because you're going to be sitting quite a while. <laughs> you know, there's a difference between teaching and preaching. You know the difference? Somebody says, well, preaching's interesting, teaching's a bore. <laughs> no, that, that isn't it. I, I sure hope it is going to be a bore. Fact is, I don't plan for it to be a bore, and I don't believe the Lord plans for it to be a bore. And if you'll get in it with us, it won't be a bore. It'll be tremendously interesting. The Lord's going to do a work. But I remember Brother Yaden telling us one time what the difference was between teaching and preaching. He says, when you preach, you know where you're going. You've got a goal set. You're like getting in an airplane. You know where you're going to land. You've got it all planned. And so you zip through the air, and you get where you're going, and you land, and you're through. Teaching's like plowing a field. You get started, and you keep going. When the sun goes down, you quit. Next day, you get out there where you left off, and you keep on going. <laughs> That's right. Next day, it's the same thing again. You keep right on going. After a while, you get the field plowed. But we're going to plow a field. Hallelujah. And we're going to just keep going until we get there. Hallelujah. We won't get there in one hop like a sermon. You get a sermon out, you just zip and you're through, and you get another one for the next time. <laughs> but this time, we're going to get right in there and plow. Hallelujah. But we know where we're going just the same. And we've got a job on hand, and I believe the Lord's going to help us to really do, so, do a job for the Lord as you work with us in this study. Now, I might say that the reason why the Lord gave me this was because I was desperate. I was seeking God so earnestly to find an answer to problems in my own life. You know, when I got the Holy Ghost, uh, and, and a lot of times this is projected. This thought is projected. When I got the Holy Ghost, the thought was, once you get the Holy Ghost, everything is solved. You got it now. See? And uh, you've arrived, and your worries are over. You're ready for the rapture. And uh, all you have to do now is just keep the Holy Ghost and just sit down and enjoy it, see? And you've got everything you need, and just everything's going to be fine. You'll never have a worry in the world, you see, because you've got the Holy Ghost. And I really thought that. So after I struggled, off and on, mostly off, I guess, <laughs> as a teenager at that time, late teenagers. I finally got the Holy Ghost, and brother, I really thought I had it made. <laughs> That's right. I'd gone after it several years, and you know how teenagers are. They're in and out and up and down. But when I got down to business, finally the last year, I really settled a few things, and I got the Holy Ghost. Well, I thought, brother, I've got it. Glory. That's just all there is. That's all there is, and that's all I need. And I just sat down and I said, I'm going to enjoy the Holy Ghost. And I was. I was floating in cloud nine for a while. I was right up there in the heavenlies, you know, and I was just singing and shouting and blessing God and saying amen and running the aisles and having myself a time. 
I didn't think I needed to pray anymore because I had it made. I didn't think I needed to, to really study the Bible or anything, you know. It was just, that was just frosting on the cake. But uh, after a while, I found out that uh, I still had some problems. You know what I mean? Do you? I found out that I could still be tempted. I found out that I had a nature within me that wanted to sin. And I was capable of sinning. And it threw me for a loop, you understand? It just tossed me overboard. I couldn't understand it. The devil said, you just didn't get the Holy Ghost. Or that wouldn't have happened to you. He told me, he said, well, you're not really saved at all. You just got emotionally involved, that's all. Got kind of carried away a little bit. It isn't real after all. That's what the devil told me. Because I thought the Holy Ghost was going to take me by the nap of the neck and the seat of my pants and make a good boy out of me automatically. Take away all desire or temptation to sin. And I'd never again have any, any worldly inclinations. But friend, it just ain't so. You've got the reservoir, but you're going to have to draw on it. And you're going to have to settle a few things in your own heart and mind. Now, we're going to find out what the Bible does teach about this so you will understand why you still have desires to sin, why that uh, possibility of sinning and being tempted is there, and how to have the victory and keep it. Amen. There's an answer to this, and I had to grope for a while because I, I didn't come up in a church where the pastor taught the word. It was evangelism, 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 and thank God for evangelism. Please don't misunderstand me. Thank God for it. We need to reach out and have this and, 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 and preach the, the, uh, uh, the gospel, the simple gospel message. But at the same time, there needs to be a balance. We need to be taught the Word of God also. Praise the Lord. So uh, then another thing. Young Christians sometimes see older Christians do things that they wouldn't do. You know what, you understand that? And sometimes they get, see them get up and testify and say, this is the greatest thing there is, there isn't anything like it. Everybody ought to be serving the Lord. And then in about two or three weeks or a month, they backslide. And they say, well, I thought they said it was great. If it was so great, why did they lose out? And here they are, they're not even coming back. It must be better out there in the world because they know both sides and here they've gone back. And that stumbles young Christians. Believe me, it does. Why did they go back? If it's as real as they say, and uh, then, of course, as I already mentioned, some young Christians think they, they have the victory and, and they find out the flesh is not dead. And they wonder about that. Now, if we're to be ready for Jesus' soon coming, we must know how to handle this and conquer it. Because, you see, these are days when many people are being tripped up. And the devil knows how to trip people up. And the reason is because they fail to see that we have now, after being born again, we now have two natures, both fighting for possession of the same body.
Amen. Now you just hold steady. If you don't see this with me, you just wait for a little bit <clears throat> because we're going to get into the Word. Let's turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Book of Galatians, chapter 5. Beginning at verse 16. <clears throat> Or, <clears throat> oh, let's start at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Here's a secret of victory. We start right out with it. Walk in the Spirit, and you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, you're not going to give in to temptation. You're not going to sin. You're not going to fail. You're going to live victorious if you will walk in the Spirit. But notice the next verse. For means because. The reason we have to walk in the Spirit is because the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. Now remember, folks, that this is not written to sinners. This is written to Holy Ghost-filled people. This is written to people baptized in Jesus' name filled with the Holy Ghost. And the inspired writer says that the, there's a flesh and there's a spirit. And the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other. Now that's your cross. They're, they're just the opposite. They go against each other. So that's the cross you have to bear. Now, we'll get to that later. But they are in opposition, the one to the other, in direct conflict, continual conflict. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other. In other words, they are at opposites. They go opposite directions. They're cross-purposes. One will lead you to hell, the other will lead you to heaven. They're that opposite. Amen. Now we have them both. If we didn't have them both, there'd be no reason for this warning in the Bible. These verses we might as well take out and throw away. But this is written to Holy Ghost people. It says you've got a flesh and you've got a spirit. And these are opposite to the other, so you've got to live in the spirit. And if you live in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but... If you live in the flesh, you will not be living in the Spirit. So you have a choice. And it's up to you which one you live in. Or which one of the two natures controls your life. Now notice the last part of the verse. These are contrary the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that you would. Now in Romans 6 verse 16, where, where, this, where this is explained to us, where it says, Know ye not that to whom... Ye yield yourselves servants to obey. His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin, of the sin nature, which is the flesh, unto death, or of obedience to the Holy Ghost, to the Spirit of God, unto righteousness. So there again is the flesh and the Spirit, and you are the servant of one or the other, so that you're not doing what you think you're doing. You're under a master. And whichever one you yield yourself to is your master. A man's sin, a man 
uh, is not a sinner because he sins. He sins because he's a sinner. Are you with me? I want God to get up here as well as down in your feet. Amen. Get some God in here. Get the Holy Ghost in here. Let the Word of God be illuminated. I said a man is not a sinner because he sins. A, a tree is not an apple tree because it bears apples. But it bears apples because it's an apple tree. A man is a sinner or a person is a sinner before he ever sins. As a child, he's a sinner. got a sin nature in him. He's born with it. That nature is going to come out in some way or other as he goes along. Amen. doesn't take long for that fellow to go into a conippity fit. Old-fashioned conippity fit. Conniption. Kick up his heels, get mad, scream, cry. He doesn't care about anything else. Doesn't care if he's in church. Doesn't care where he is. Doesn't care who he's with or anything else. He don't care. He just goes at it. He shows that old nature. I'm going to have my own way. You give it to me or else. Yes, sir. He's got a nature in him. Now, he, I don't say that sin is attributed to him until he comes to a certain age, but at the same time, it's there. It's there. So, <clears throat> uh, we are under the control of one nature or the other. We've got them both. See, a Holy Ghost-filled person has two fathers. His natural father and his spiritual father. He has two birthdays. His natural birthday and his spiritual birthday. He is born of the flesh and he's been born of the spirit. The first Adam is his earthly father. The second Adam is his heavenly father. Hallelujah. He has, he's born of the will of the flesh. The first time is born of the will of God the second time. And we're going to see the difference in those natures. And we're going to see... Uh, we'll have to start somewhere. We're going to start with the old one. Let's start with the old one. We all have that. We all understand it to some extent. But many times we don't really understand it. We think we do, but we don't. But the Bible gives us a little glimpse into what this old nature that we're all born with when we came into the world is and what it does. And in this same chapter of Galatians, fifth chapter of Galatians, we find out a little bit about the old nature. So turn with me to that, and that's our first study that we're getting into today. Now this in the Bible is called the natural man because everybody has it and received it by nature. Uh, in Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 19, we read about it. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Uh, we, we don't maybe understand the nature itself, but we understand the works of the nature, what, what's produced. So you can, Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them, didn't he? So the fruits of the natural man, whenever you see those fruits, you'll know the natural man is doing it. Somebody got very angry in our church some time ago, and uh, they thought they had a right to be angry. I called them into my office, and I said, now let me ask you something. Do you think Jesus would get angry like that at the, at the same provocation? They said, no. Well, I said, now, then let me ask you another question. Tell me which of your fathers or which of your natures 
produced that anger in you? Was it from God? No, it wasn't from God because Jesus wouldn't do it. All right, if it wasn't from God, where did it come from? And they had to admit it came from their lower or fallen nature. See? Now, that nature, the fruits of that nature are manifest. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Now, notice what they are. <clears throat> Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. None of these things are from God. None of them. Let's read on. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. That isn't the end of the catalog. That's just the start of it. There's such like there. Kinfolk. <laughs> There's a lot of kinfolk hanging around. <laughs> like these other things. See, So there's more. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. They're out. If you give in to the flesh, you're going to find out that these things are similar things, such like, will be in your life and you'll not be able to make it to heaven. Amen. All right. Now, <clears throat> remember that he that commits sins is the servant of sin. And the only reason a sinner has not murdered or has not committed adultery, which are some of the works of the flesh, is because the sin that controls him has not called him to do it yet. That doesn't mean he's not capable of it. He has the same nature in him that Hitler had. He has the same nature in him that a pimp or a whoremonger or a, or a harlot has. The same nature. But the sin nature in him has not called him to do it. It's called him to tell little white lies so he wouldn't get under conviction and repent. Sometimes the devil doesn't want you to do a big sin. He wants you to do a little one. Because if you did a big sin, you'd get under conviction and repent and get right with God. <laughs> so he wants you to think that by doing little sins, you're, you know, it isn't so bad. I'm not as bad as old George over there. See, I'm not doing what he's doing. No, you're not. But you're still a sinner and lost and going to hell. See? And the only reason you're not doing some great big thing is because the nature within you says, I've got you now without that. You don't have to do that. I've still got you. Amen? But if that nature, under certain provocations and circumstances, and I learned long ago, I can't trust the old man. I can't trust him. It's like a, a woman was asked one time, don't you trust your daughter? She was going out with a young man, and she insisted that she be back at 11 o'clock. Don't you trust your daughter? Sure, I trust my daughter, but I don't trust the devil. That's right. Amen. I know that this old, old nature can sometimes rise up and with emotions and with, with uh, pressures and so forth that the person doesn't know how to control, gets out of control. And unless you have the Holy Ghost, you're in serious trouble. Amen. There's a nature in you driving you on, making it sound logical and reasonable that you take this course of action when it's against God and against the ways of God because the carnal mind is enmity against God. 
For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. No way you can make it subject to God. It is at eternal enmity against God. No way that old nature can ever be subject to God. You mean, Brother Grab, got something in me that isn't under the control of God? Yes, you've got an old nature that it is impossible to bring under the control of God. You have to kill it and reckon it dead. Amen. Now, I know this goes against somebody's theology, but I don't care. I believe the Word of God is right and I want you to hear me out praise God because we've got a job on our hands as Holy Ghost filled Christians don't ever think that when you get the Holy Ghost you've got it made no sir you've got a job on your hands the Lord has invested in you his greatest treasure but you don't know how to use it don't know what to do with it don't know why he gave it to you some of you and I want you to find this out in this study here what the Holy Ghost has come in for to do to accomplish in your life and mine. Hallelujah. Let's praise the Lord, shall we? Hallelujah. <clears throat> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. <coughs> praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now we're going to start with a study of the natural man. That's this fellow. On your chart, little chart, you can see him. The natural man. That's where we start. Because we all started there. We were born in this world this way with this nature and when fruit came on that tree it came the fruit that we just read to you the works of the flesh were manifest natural realm exclusively he has a fallen nature the names of this old nature are given in the Bible we don't have time to go into them take the scriptures but uh, it's called the flesh for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing Paul said it's called a natural man, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14. It's called the old man, that you put off concerning your former conversation, the old man. Ephesians 4.22. It is called sin, sin that dwelleth in me, Paul said in Romans 7.17. It is called the spirit of man in 1 Corinthians 2.11. It is called the spirit of bondage in Romans 8.15. It is called a spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1.7. It is called the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience, Ephesians 2, verse 2. These are all names of that old man or the old nature, which we're all born with. Now let me say we got this nature from our parents. And you got it even though your parents were filled with the Holy Ghost. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we parents could pass on the Holy Ghost to our children when they're born? Wouldn't that be just great? But it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. All right? Where did they get it? They got it from their parents. Well, where did they get it? They got it from their parents. Well, where did they get it? They got it from their parents and on back to Adam. Well, where did he get it? From the devil. You see, when Adam sinned, he was born again. He was born of the devil. He got a new nature from the devil. He was innocent. He didn't have a nature, in a sense. So the nature he got was from the devil. He did not know good or evil. He did not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when he did, he got a nature of e from the devil, the devil's own nature. So that which is within you that you're born with is related, is kin 
to the devil. And the devil recognizes his own offspring in you. That's why Jesus said, you're of your father the devil. The works of your father will you do. He was a liar from the beginning. Amen? Have I lost you somewhere? Are you still with me? Praise the Lord. Now you just hold steady. We're going to find out something about this old man. Because we all have to deal with him. This is not something way off somewhere that we're talking about now. We're talking about something right here that we have to deal with. You have to live with that old fella and know how to handle him and deal with him. Praise the Lord. I'm glad there's a way to do it. Hallelujah. Praise God. So now let's study some things about this natural man. The natural man, the man that has this old nature is without a spiritual birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again of water and spirit. If Jesus said you must, then you must. There must be a new nature to know how to handle the old nature. Now, the natural man is without some very important things. First of all, he is without spiritual life. He is without spiritual life. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, please? Beginning at the first verse. You hath he quickened, or made alive, who were dead. So the natural man is dead spiritually. He is without spiritual life. And you hath he made alive who were dead spiritually in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked. Now, the inspired writer is telling us what the natural man is like and how we all were before we were saved. We were absolutely dead to spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. He is absolutely incapable of understanding spiritual truths. You, now some of you sisters have unsaved husbands. Have you ever gone home from a Holy Ghost service just rejoicing in the Lord and filled overflowing with the goodness of God and the glory of the presence of God? And tried to tell your husband how wonderful the Lord was. And he looks at you like you were a nut. He thinks you... The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. He is incapable. You're expecting too much of him to when you try to tell him and expect him to understand spiritual things. He is not capable of it. It takes the Spirit of God to unveil spiritual truths to him. And he doesn't have the Spirit of God. So he cannot grasp it. He cannot understand it. And he looks at you like you're balmy, like you've got worms in your attic up here. Something's gone wrong with you. We can understand him because we've been there. He can't understand us. <laughs> he just can't. He's incapable of it. The only thing that I think the sinner needs to know and you can talk to him about is the plan of salvation. I think, I think if God will help him to get his eyes open to that, that's where he, what he needs. But to tell him about some of the wonderful things in God that you and I enjoy, he can't grasp that. Just can't. Just no way. See? So that's the way we all were, though, before we were saved. 
We were dead in trespasses and sins, incapable of understanding spiritual realities. <clears throat> in time past, walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or manner of life or conduct. That's what the word means. In time past, in the lusts of our flesh, that's what we lived in. We lived in the realm of the sensual. We lived in the realm of the senses. We lived in the realm of, of the natural feelings. We lived in the realm of, 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 of just those things that were, could be seen with the eyes, heard with the ears, felt with the touch, you know, tasted or smelled. We lived in that realm. We lived in the realm where Satan could prey upon our senses and cause us to lust, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, those things. <clears throat> Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath as others. Now, let's go into this a little bit more. First of all, the natural man is without spiritual life. Uh, these verses that I read to you reveal at least six things concerning the natural man. First of all, they're dead in trespasses and in sins. We're a sinner by nature through Adam and a sinner by guilt through transgression. Now, first of all, we're born that way. Secondly, we have given in to that nature until we are responsible for our own actions. We have uh, uh, somebody, it's like the, the uh, fellow that came up before the judge. And the, the, the judge uh, was about to pronounce sentence on him for stealing, for breaking a window and reaching in and stealing in a jewelry shop some, some jewels. And he took them. And the prisoner made a very, very novel defense. He said, Judge, I'm not guilty. He said, the reason I'm not guilty is because I did not steal those, those diamonds or whatever it was. My hand did. It's my hand that reached in there and got them. Judge said, All right, we'll sentence your hand to jail. <laughs> so you see, we can say we're not guilty, but we are. Actually, the hand was only the tool that the man used to reach those things. The hand didn't think it up, the hand didn't lust after it. The hand was simply the the, the agency that the man used because the lust was in his mind and heart. So he was guilty, even though the hand did the job. Amen? See, you're not going to deal, you're not going to, see, when Jesus said this, he said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. He didn't mean to take a, 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 a hacksaw and, and cut off your hand. Physically. Why, Brother Craig? Because even if you did cut off your hand, you'd still have the lust in your heart. You haven't dealt with it at all. You have to deal with where it comes from. You have to reach down in here and deal with it, see. Cutting off your hand doesn't solve this. What did Jesus mean? He said, cut off doing it. Quit it. That's what he meant. Be through with it. And deal with the thing in your heart. And there's a way to do it, as we'll get into in our, next, in our future studies. How to deal with that lust in the heart. We're going to get to that. But now... We want to see that sin separates from God. Uh, spiritually speaking, the church does not work in a hospital healing sick folks 
and not in a poorhouse supporting the destitute. It works in a cemetery raising the dead. Folks are dead until they find God, dead in trespasses and sins. So we work in a cemetery raising dead people. Second thing that we're told about in this passage is that the natural man is devoted to the world system. Verse 2, it said, we, walk, we walked in our past days before we were saved according to the course of this world. Now, the course of this world is always downward, spiritually, morally. Evil men and seducers wax worse and worse. I've come to an age in my life where I can remember back where uh, uh, they would have put you in jail and almost thrown the key away to have done some of the things that are allowed right now publicly and openly. The course of this world is downward at a, such an accelerated pace. It's like on a toboggan slide. You can't stop it. It's going down, down, down. And it's corrupt. Human ingenuity and inventive genius manages to improve everything but man himself. And every invention that man makes seems to bring man deeper into a morass of of corruption and filth. He invents ways to debauch himself, to, depra to de cause himself to become more depraved. And his inventions, such as television and motion pictures and others, are always used to destroy and to pull down and to de cause men to go deeper into the morass of immorality. We multiply our comforts. We know how to make ourselves comfortable and easy. We come to church in air-conditioned comfort, listening to stereo music. Our forefathers walked, trudged the mountain trails to get to church. They didn't know what it was to sit in air-conditioning comfort like we have. We have wall-to-wall -wall carpets, swimming pools, so forth. Now, there's nothing sinful in those of themselves. There is something sinful, however, in us thinking that those are indications of a higher spiritual order in our lives when they might be indications of our desire to heap upon ourselves comforts. I'll let you think about that a while. But we multiply our comforts. We improve our means of transportation. We, uh, uh, we produce more palatable food. We add to our luxuries. But we cannot change the hearts of men. I believe men in 1976 have the same, exactly the same fallen nature they had in the days of Noah. I do not believe in evolution. I don't believe we're any different. We're exactly the same kind of people that walked this earth in the days of Noah, in the days of Lot, in the days of Isaiah, you name it, wherever it is. People are exactly the same, with the same nature, the same fallen nature, the same evil uh, propensities that they've always had. And all the uh, things that man has done with his great inventive powers and genius and knowledge and scientific efforts and all that's been accomplished and the heaping up of knowledge, one on top of the other, one generation adds to the knowledge of the previous generation. And the next one comes on and it retains that and adds more knowledge until every five years the total of human knowledge is doubled. Now you think how astronomical that is. We have a school at our church I go through the 12th grade we had our first graduating class last year it was a real joy to us to see those young people graduate with the victory of God in their soul and uh, 
whereas if they were out in the world, you just don't know what had happened to them, see. So I thank God for that. But at any rate, uh, one of our teacher's husbands is going to college, and he is, uh, this is his second year in college, and he came home from his studies to help his daughter do some of her work, and she's in the 11th grade in our school. And he could not understand it. He is studying in college the same thing she's studying. He graduated from high school and never studied it. They are teaching things in our high schools that were never known uh, to be taught except in college before. The level of learning is, is, is greater. Knowledge is increased. It's tremendous. But that has not made man any better. He's still a corrupt human being. He's still depraved and on his way to hell. Lost. He still has the same desires, lusts, and, 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 and uh, uh, tendencies that he's always had. No different. No different. So don't ever think that education's the answer. It is not the answer. You must be born again. Must be born again. You must get a new nature. Then after you get the new nature, you need to allow that new nature to, to uh, and know how to allow that new nature and to give in to, to that new nature and yield yourself to it so that you can conquer that old nature. Now, the next thing is, verse 2, Ephesians 2, is that the natural man is dominated by the devil. <clears throat> According to the prince of the power of the air. Now that means that the prince of the power of the air, of course, is Satan. That means that, that the natural man allows or is under the control. Not that he allows it, he is under the control of that demon power, that satanic power. I mentioned earlier that the old nature, the nature we're born with, is related to the devil because he gave it to Adam and we got it from Adam and it came from the devil. So the nature we possess when we're born is the satanic nature. So it is according to, and Satan has access. He has right of way into the lives of the sinner. It's like this. If you owned a piece of property and you had your neighbor or your worst enemy also owned a piece, a little piece of land right in the center of your property. It's like a donut, you know. You owned all the land around it, all the land around it, and your worst enemy owned a little piece of land, even if it was only one foot by one foot size, <laughs> right in the middle of yours. According to law, he has a right to go right across your property to get to his, and you can't keep him out. You cannot build a fence. You cannot put a fence around yours and keep him out. He has a right to get to his property. Satan has a right to get to his property. And if you have allowed that to live on in your life and uh, don't reckon it dead and deal with it the way the Bible teaches, as we'll get to, you're going to find out that Satan is going to trample right on over every good thing that you have in your life and mess it up and claim control over your life he contended for the body of Moses he's going to contend for everything he can to, 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 to undo the work of God in your life I don't believe we need to let him I believe there's a way of victory for all of us thank God and I want us to know that alright but the natural man is dominated by the devil all men are either saved or deceived 
and uh, <clears throat> he's a god of this age, Satan is. This, and then we find they're disobedient to God's law. Second two, according to the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. From the cradle to the grave, man's conduct is characterized by lawlessness, disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation or manner of living in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We did what we wanted to. If our flesh desired something, we gave in to it. I talked with someone some time ago, a young man in our church. And I said, uh, he said, I, I, I find myself doing this. I said, why do you do it? He said, I don't know, I just do it. He said, I want to do it, so I do it. Well, I said, why don't you stand up as a man and in the name of Jesus uh, refuse to give in to that temptation or that desire? He says, I don't know. I just, I just want to do it. He said, I guess I'll never be saved. I said, well, you can if you want to be. He said, I don't know. I've got this, this desire and it makes me do things. I said, it doesn't make you do it. Not when you've got the Holy Ghost. I said, now, if it was a sinner, I could understand that. Man that doesn't have the Holy Ghost. I'll get to that later. I don't want to mess that up now. But I want you to know, friends, that there is a nature in you that rises up and makes you want to do things that you know are wrong. And it'll try to argue that it's all right to do them. It'll try to weasel around and squirm around and try to argue and, and get you to feel like that what you want to do is all right. And you'll find some logical reason he'll present to you why it's all right to do it. That's right. And it squirms around. It's not subject to the law of God, not subject to the conditions that God's Word sets down. And it wants to get around them some way. It reminds me of a young couple that came to me when I first opened in, in San Diego. And we were a very small group at that time. And uh, I've been there for 31 years. And uh, we started with almost nothing. Uh, I think there was 11 people, including children, we started with three adults <clears throat> so at any rate uh, we're running around 650 now so the Lord's been good to us but that's 31 years and it takes a while to, to uh, continue on but at any rate uh, when we were we were still a very small little group and here came a, here came a young man and uh, he came into the church did not have the Holy Ghost he was a fireman in the San Diego Fire Department and uh, the young lady that uh, they got interested in each other was our young people's leader. And uh, she had separated from her husband. Uh, he had uh, left her, uh, I believe, but as far as I knew, had not married again. But at any rate, it seems as though, as far as I knew, she did not have a right to remarriage at this point. And he did not have the Holy Ghost. But they came to me and wanted me to marry them. And so I said to them, uh, I'm sorry, I can't marry you. I can't, I can't do it. Well, they were all shook up over it, you know. And she started to cry. And uh, she said, Brother Gray, the Lord loves us. I said, I know he does. She says, we love the Lord. I said, I'm sure you do says well since the Lord loves us we love the Lord surely the Lord will make a way for us well I said I don't see it right according to the Word of God at this point that you have a right for marriage 
First of all, uh, Jim doesn't have the Holy Ghost. And I said, he's not been born again. Well, he had been for years in the Assembly of God Church until we came to San Diego and opened up. And, of course, their teaching is that if you know that you're just automatically born again the moment you say, yes, Jesus, I believe you lived and died and so forth and accept him as your personal Savior, although that phrase is not in the Bible at all. Not just drop that in for good measure. You just don't find that anywhere in the Bible. It's just not there. But they make that their plan of salvation. Whereas I like to go to Acts 2.38 for the plan of salvation. Amen. I believe there's a Bible plan, not somebody's idea about it. So anyhow, uh, he said, well, Brother Gray, I'm, I'm a Christian. I've been living for God since I can remember. I said, but you don't have the Holy Ghost. You haven't been born of water and spirit. You've been baptized in Jesus' name and haven't received the Holy Ghost. Well, that was more, more than he wanted to take. So she said then, she says, well, Brother Gray, I know that he loves me and I love him and, 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 and we're going to get married. And I said, well, I'm sorry I can't marry you and I don't believe the Bible's for it. And if you'd wait, perhaps the Lord would work this out. But go it God's way. Take it God's way. They walked out of there and he told his father who had come in and given us a lot of support and uh, so I talked with a few others in the church and it took me about 10 or 15 minutes for me to get to the front door after the service was over after I talked to them and all he was waiting at the front door for me and right in front of the whole group He's, he put his finger under my nose and he said you just bought a new car didn't you I said yes he said I'd like to see you pay for that car when my wife and I and Jim and I forget her name, doesn't put our tithes in here anymore. Says, you have just lost your new car. They walked out. Well, he knew because his wife was our church secretary. He knew where the funds came from. He knew that it was his tithes and his wife who also worked and his son, who was a fireman, and this girl who had a fine job in a bank are all the main support financially of the church. And so he thought that that would bring me around, see, or I would toe the mark, marry them. So they walked out. Brother, we had just a small little group there. It hurt. And I prayed. I said, dear God, you know about this. You know that, that uh, you, your word said this. And I have, if I had said yes, I'd have been a liar. That doesn't change the Bible any. The word still stands. I didn't make the Bible up. I have no right to change it. What right have I to say they could get married when God said they couldn't? I have no right to do that. All I've got a right to do is say what the Word says. Hallelujah. I've got to do it. I can't do anything else. So, <clears throat> out they went. Brother, I tell you, it was, it was a trial of, of my faith. But do you know I paid for that car? I didn't have to let it go back. God gave us others. 
And our church has gone right on, thank God. And uh, the other, well, not the other day, about two years ago, somebody said to me that they had talked with him. And he had, uh, of course, the young lady and, and young man had gotten married, but they never did get along. And uh, he, let it, he let them know that he'd wished he'd listened to Brother Gray. Of course, now that's, uh, if, if, he really, if he really regretted it, he'd been back. It's too humiliating to come back. He's never been back. That's all right. The word still stands. Church has gone on. Hallelujah. We have property now that's worth nearly a million dollars. God has blessed us. It's not, it's not my doing. But what I am saying is this, that when you stand by God and his word, God will stand by you. Hallelujah. He will. He'll stand by you. But you need to be faithful to God. Some people think, well, uh, well, uh, if I lose this support, and if I lose that support, what am I going to do? I'm going to trust God. We have no choice in the matter, preacher. We have no choice. We're either God's man or we're not. Yes, sir. We either better tell the truth or, or shut up shop, one or the other. Just lay it on the line. But do it in love. Do it the right way. But still hold to it. And God will stand by you. Hallelujah. He will. He'll stand by you. But what I'm getting at is the flesh tries to weasel around and find ways around. It's like that woman, that girl said, I'm sure the Lord loves me. He'll make a way for me. Surely there's a way for me. No, he's not going to change his word for you, honey. He's not going to do it. It's forever settled in heaven. It's already fixed. There's no way the word will ever be changed. Not one shot or tittle will be changed. I remember uh, Brother Curry, I was up in, uh, in Vancouver preaching a camp meeting up in British Columbia uh, quite a number of years ago. Brother Curry, who later on became missionary to, to Africa, was there, and he was in charge of it. And he said to me, Brother Gray, he said, I had a piano player, and uh, this piano player was a single girl. And a boy came in who was a divorced boy, and he had a wife and several children, but they were separated from his wife, and I found out that they were going out for coffee after service. So I called her to one side, and I told her, I said, I hear you've been going out with so-and-so for coffee after service. She said, yes, but it's just for coffee. I, he said, but it'll not stop at coffee, and it didn't. So one day she came to him and said, Brother Curry, would you pray that I would find the will of God about something? Oh, yes, he said, I'll be glad to. What is it? says, well, Joe over here has asked me to marry him. Pray that I'll find the will of God. <laughs> so he said, sure, I'll be glad to, if you'll pray about something for me. He says, you know that our payments, we're, we're behind on our payments. This was during Depression time. We're behind on our payments, and I don't just know where the money's coming from. I want you to pray that I'll know the will of God whether to go across the street to the bank and hold it up or not. She said, you're crazy. He said, no more crazy than you are. God's already told you his answer. You know what the answer is. Why should I pray about it? Hallelujah. Sometimes we get downright silly, you know. We think we can change God's mind somehow. 
saying, God, I want this to do this so bad. I want to do it so bad. You're going to change it for me. No, no, no. Hallelujah. Angels couldn't change it. They'd be accursed. Drive them out. He, they can't change it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's forever settled in heaven. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. I believe with all of my heart we need to understand the inviolability of the Word of God, the absolute uh, integrity of this Word. It's not subject to man's manipulations or ideas. It is forever the truth of God. It's like the stars in their orbits. They're already set. Our job is not, is not to invent truth. Our job is to find the truth by the truth. Hallelujah. It's forever settled this way. Buy it and sell it not. Hallelujah. Let's praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank God. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. And the natural man deserves only wrath from a holy God. Now the word flesh and self are synonymous terms. You turn the word flesh around, take the H for hell off, and you've got self. They're absolutely synonymous. I live for myself and myself alone, for myself and none beside, just as if Jesus had never lived and as if he had never died. That's what the old flesh is. That's right. And we deserve only wrath from a holy God. We're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. God's holy, must punish sin. His justice will not permit him to tolerate sin in any form. Men deify themselves. They deny God's existence. They disgrace his image, defame his name, deride his word, denounce his service, devote themselves to a life of sin, and bring damnation upon themselves. Now, quickly moving ahead. The natural man is without spiritual discernment. I've quoted this verse a couple of times, but I want to bring it to your attention again. 1 Corinthians 2.14. It's a very important verse. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, the decisions of the natural man are wrong because he rejects spiritual truths. His delusions are pitiable. He thinks that they're foolish, you know. And he's incapable of understanding spiritual things. He discerns not the things of the Spirit of God. And he may be religious. Most men are religious. But if he hasn't been born again, he's without God. Ephesians 2.12 says this, that at that time, before we were saved, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Now, when we, when we talk about the natural man being without spiritual discernment, when we talk about that thing, we begin to realize why it is impossible for us to, to satisfy the sinner concerning the church standards of holiness. He can't understand why women can't cut their hair. He can't understand why the men and the boys have to cut theirs. He thinks it's silly, you know. You talk, try to explain to him, and he looks at you like something's wrong with you, see? I, I really think that we ought to get the wheat in the barn before we thresh it. We ought to get the fish in the boat before we try to clean it. In other words, 
you can't satisfy a sinner man until you get him down at the altar and get him through to God, get him baptized in Jesus' name, say, now here, I want you to straighten up. Get your dresses longer. Take those earrings off. Uh, you see, you don't need to paint anymore. Uh, boys, you cut your hair. Get him, get him repented, get him right with God. Then you can talk to him. Because a natural man does, cannot understand this. You try to talk to a sinner and line him up, you might take the cigarettes away from him, but he'll still go to hell unless he's born again. That's right. You might take the snuff and, the, and, and you might even, might even put a, a skirt on those instead of those pants on that woman. But she's still lost unless she's born again, see? So the thing to do is to get them in. Then they can understand. Then the Spirit of God illuminates their understanding. When you show it to them from the Word, they'll say, yes, 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 yes. See, I'll do it. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Hallelujah. Anything you say. If they're really born again, they've got a new nature in them then. See? You can deal with that new nature. It will respond to the things of God. The old nature won't. The new nature will. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. So, if you listen to the natural man, you're sunk. And if you bring natural men into the leadership of your church preachers, you're sunk. I don't believe the decisions of the church should be in the hands of men that are not spiritual. Amen. I, I, I tell you, I, I'm, I believe this with all of my heart. I, I don't believe, I don't care how much money he's got, he has no business telling you how to run the church. That's right. He has no business doing it. You just, you just keep that fellow out. Don't let him buy his way in. You're, you're his worst enemy if you do. Amen. He needs to come down and humble himself before God and get right with God. Amen. Since the church has listened, started listening to the counsel of the ungodly, it has allowed paint and immodesty and easy divorce and worldliness and television into the church. It's been a curse to God's church. Let's straighten up and be men for God. Have a backbone to us. Hallelujah. Realize that God has placed us between the dead and the living, and we have a responsibility to tell them the truth. Hallelujah. Now, we have two lines of heredity. This, let's get back now. We've studied concerning the natural man and the works of the flesh. Now, uh, let's, before we get to this two lines of heredity, though, let's uh, realize that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, according to Jeremiah 17, 9. And out of it proceed all kinds of evil things, according to Mark 7, 21 to 23. Out of the heart proceedeth bitterness and, and so forth. All those hatred, strife, envies, malice, murders, uh, lust, and all these things proceed out of the heart and they bring forth the works of the flesh. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, and let's refer to that, that's a wonderful scripture. Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 33, he said, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Now we're going to have to find out that a tree bears either good fruit or evil fruit. In this case, it's evil fruit. This is the natural man. He bears evil fruit. A tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? If you are evil, how can you bring forth good things? You may try. I remember when I was a youngster in my teens, I was raised in a Christian home. 
Pentecostal home. My parents were missionaries in Japan. I was born in Japan. And uh, I was raised in a Christian home. We had prayer in the home. We loved God. The parents loved the Lord. And I wanted to do good. There was a desire in me to do good even before I had the Holy Ghost. And I would, in my room, I had a calendar, and I would put a circle around that date, that day. And I said, now from this day, I'm going to be good. And I'd try right from that. But you know that calendar got filled with circles. Another day or two, I'd put another one around another date. <laughs> it, it just didn't work. All the struggles I went through, all the striving I went through trying to be the kind of fellow ought to be without the Holy Ghost, it didn't work. It just didn't do it. So uh, Jesus said this in the, in the 12th chapter of, uh, of uh, Matthew. said, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? You see, you've got a nature within you that's making you do, do certain things. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Somebody says all of a sudden, blurts out something. And then they'd like to bite their tongue off because they said it. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. Oh, yes, you did. If it hadn't been in the heart, it never would have been said. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What you mean is, I'm sorry I said it. See? You really thought it, but you're sorry you let it out. What you said exposed what was in your heart all the time. And you're sorry people could look in there and see the filth in there because you let it out with your tongue. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So really, you did mean it. How can ye being evil bring forth good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. In other words, we all have a treasury, a storehouse in our hearts. Jesus said so. And we're accumulating things and putting into that. I hope you're getting something good today. You're getting in there. Hallelujah. So an evil man has a treasury in there because he fills it full of evil things. The Bible speaks of a man whose eyes are filled with adultery that cannot cease from sin. When he sees a woman go down the street, he sizes her up. He fills that treasury filled with evil thoughts, corrupt thoughts. Some of you boys think it's all right to read pornography. You better watch out. You're filling your treasury full of filth and corruption that'll rise up and destroy you. Even after you get the Holy Ghost, you're going to have a battle. Because you've got your treasury filled with that junk, that terrible stuff, that corruption. Amen. So out of the treasury, it comes. It's down in there. It's stored in there. We all have that storehouse. So out of that, it's, it's what we, we say, what's in the treasure, in the storehouse. And actually our minds are, are just a storehouse. That's what they are. We store things away. When you think along a certain line long enough, they say physically your brain changes as a new groove gets in there. New wrinkle in your brain, in your gray matter. Actually physically in your gray matter, there's a wrinkle comes into that brain. When you have thought along certain lines and you've developed along a certain line, that brain physically changes. You've got things in there that maybe you'll forget, but under at certain times, out it'll come. That's right. Now, if you've got the Holy Ghost 
And that's why I'm going to just tell you this right now. And I don't know whether I can get it to you the way I want to or not. But I'm going to try to do it. There are those that say this. Well, if I'm a sinner, I might as well go hog wild and be just as bad a sinner as I can be. Well, let me tell you this. And, and uh, before I, I do, let me say that additionally this much. Uh, there's a philosophy today that says expose our children and young people to everything. That's why they're taught sex in schools. That's why they're taught all these things that uh, uh, used to be, that we used to think, you know, should be handled in a different way. And it should be. But they're exposed to everything. Let them know everything. Television brings it all in. Just let them know it all. And then when they get the Holy Ghost, immediately all of that is thrown away. Oh, no, it's not. No, no, no. That stuff is still there. The treasury has it there. The storehouse has it all stored in there. All that filth, that junk, that corruption. Amen. Now, let me tell you something else while I'm on it. It's not really on this, but I want us to think about it. I want you to search your Bible and find out the men that God has used. How many of them were men that had gone deep into sin for many years and then come to God? How many? Search your Bible. How many? Now, I know God will use a man like that. Thank God he will. But you take your Bible and you won't find very many. Not deep sinners. Even though the Lord forgives. I think we ought to realize that the best thing we can do is keep our children from getting off into that kind of stuff. You find in your Bible that these people that God used are men that from their youth up, most of them, had been kept from the evil and corruption of the world. You search your Bible now. You search it out. I'm telling you something today. I know God can forgive and wash it white as snow. But don't ever forget that here's a man that has lived his life in deep sin and comes to God. He has to pray through all of that every day before he can touch God. That thing's flooding his mind. Whereas a person that hasn't had all of that to battle through and live his life, he can pray a half hour and, and get further in God than a person that has to pray two hours to just keep the, his nose above water. Yes, sir. Now you think about that. We ought to keep our children from getting off and having to learn and learning all that stuff and then having to wade through it in their minds and hearts before they can touch God. Amen. Keep them in church. Keep them in the right environment. Keep them out of the filth. Don't let them get into it if you can possibly do it. Help yourself. Now, I believe this with all of my heart. I've seen it. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I've, I've heard about people that have, that have allowed themselves to go uh, into this sex thing so deep, even though they were delivered from it, that sometimes they even have blackout spells when they're studying the Bible. And this thing comes flooding back and they're just somehow stunned. Because that thing just overwhelms them. I don't want that to happen to my children. I want them to be clean in their minds and hearts. Even though they have the Holy Ghost, friends. 
These are things that I'm telling you and warning you about by the help of God. Praise the Lord. All right, so there's a treasury. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringing forth good things. See, he's got good things stored up there. But an evil man has his treasure house, his storehouse filled with evil things. Now, even after you get the Holy Ghost, all those, even though God forgives and he forgets, we remember. We remember. I remember Brother Pugh saying this one time. He was in prayer and he said, oh, God, you know how low down I've been, what I've done. The Lord says, what are you talking about? Well, Lord, you know what dirty things I used to do and all those awful things that I did back there. The Lord says, I don't know anything about it. What are you talking about? All of a sudden he realized God said he forgot it. He didn't know about it. But I can remember. And sometimes I, I, I look back at that and I hold it against myself. Or those things come popping up. And they hinder my progress today. Amen. Oh, God, help us to understand. Oh, sometimes we can't forgive ourselves and we hinder ourselves from having faith in God because we feel, well, I've done this and I've done that and I've done the other. Oh, God, how could you ever forgive me? And the Lord says, it's done. It's all forgiven. Move ahead. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And we get down, I'm so unworthy, Lord. We are unworthy. But the Lord doesn't want us to live in that. He wants us to rise up above it in a place of victory with God and power and faith in God. Hallelujah. And go on. Now, I know God forgives. Don't ever... Don't, don't, please don't misunderstand me. Please, I, 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 I don't want to leave the thought ever that it's not forgiven and under the blood. Thank God it is when you come to the Lord. But if our young people can be kept from all that stuff, their minds won't go back and have to wade through that and have that live with them because it's still embedded into them and in their storehouse and they can't take it out. There's no way it could be taken out there there's experiences of your life can you look back in your life till you were a child of three and four years old you can remember experiences you had way back there it's part of you part of your very life you'd like to block them out of your memory but they'll be there as long as you live until you take your last breath all right where are we oh yes but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment for by thy works thou shall be justified by thy word by thy words Thou shalt be condemned. Now, uh, in closing this part of the lesson, let me just tell you about a man in Brother Hardin's church in, in uh, uh, Little Rock. Yeah. Brother Hardin told me this. He's a good friend of mine. We served on the Campus Evangelism Commission. And um, he's a very, very dear friend, very fine man. Some of you perhaps know him. But he said he dreamed. Uh, a man in his church dreamed uh, a very fine man in his church now he is but at this time he had come in to the Lord and he'd never really settled some things but uh, he dreamed that he was out in the yard and this was his dream that a man rushed up and told him that a lion was in his house now he rushed in and he found his five-year-old boy mauled and bleeding <coughs> he went through the house looking for the lion but didn't find it then he, it came to him that it was the television. He passed it off, didn't tell anybody about his dream. Saturday came and he was out in his yard <clears throat> with his boy and his boy said, Daddy, I had a terrible dream. Oh, what was it, son? 
I dreamed a lion attacked me. Man was startled. He remembered his dream. He said, what happened? He scratched me and hurt me, Daddy. Oh, his daddy said. Then that little five-year-old boy said, I don't know what that lion was, Daddy, but I guess it was a television. Don't you think so? The man was stunned. It hit him with such force. He hadn't told his dream to a soul. He hadn't mentioned it to anybody. God confirmed it through the lips of his five-year-old boy. He went into the house. His jaw was set. He said to his wife, Dear, that old television has got to go. She said, Thank God. Praise the Lord. It's a pipeline of hell and filth and corruption into your home and into the minds and hearts of your children. When I say don't allow that storehouse, that storehouse of your child to be filled with experiences and, and, and sights and scenes and things that are corrupting of the world, get that television out and it will help you to keep your home clean and pure in the minds of your children. Right? Amen. Let's worship the Lord, Joe. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. Now, I must get on this because I've only got four days on this study. But I, I want you to know that God has an answer to this natural man. He has a way of helping this man to find victory. He's a slave to his desires. He's got a nature that's the nature of the devil that's dominating him and controlling him. He can't help it. He's chained and bound and a slave. God has the answer. Man doesn't have the answer. There's no answer in education, no answer in philosophy, no answer in, in any of the programs, social programs that man can put on. Only God has the answer, and I'm glad he does. Hallelujah. We have to start somewhere, and let's start with repentance, because to me, that's the very first step. I don't know how anybody can be saved without repentance to you. I remember I was teaching a Bible class in my church one time, and I was dealing with repentance. And I emphasized that it was the only way that a person could get rid of sin. And, some, and a lady spoke up and said, Brother Gray, don't you think God has some other plan? Did he leave it just all to that one? And I thought a minute, and I searched my heart, and I thought of the scriptures. I said, no, there is none other. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. In other words, you're going to perish unless you repent. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. In other words, there's no other way except through repentance. Repentance is the first step. Peter said to them, repent. You start there. That's where you have to begin. You have to begin somewhere. Here's where you begin. You're through with sin. That's what repentance is, being through with sin. Being so sorry for it, you, you turn away from it. You're through with it. You're not going to do it anymore. You turn to Jesus. Hallelujah. And you're through with a sinning business. Repentance is not just weeping a few tears and are sorry because you got found out. Repentance is turning away from sin. Repentance is being through with sin. Repentance is taken from a military term. The military term is right about face. You're headed in one direction. You're instantly turning 
and heading in another direction. You've been going this way for the devil and instantly you turn and are going this way for God. Hallelujah. Amen. Repentance is a complete change, a complete turning around. It is turning your back on sin. It is being through with it. Now sometimes we find a verse of scripture. <clears throat> sometimes we find a verse of scripture that uses the word and tells us what it means. But other times we find a scripture that doesn't even use the word but still describes the thing. I'm thinking of a verse of scripture that does not have the word repentance in it yet describes it. Whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper but whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall find mercy that's repentance that's repentance confessing and forsaking amen it isn't just weeping a few tears You'll be heartbroken over the sins that you've done and you'll weep. That's a byproduct. It's not the main line. It's a byproduct. I've known of folks that really genuinely repented, didn't have tears. I like to see folks cry. But I've seen folks cry and go out and do the same thing again. It isn't the crying that determines repentance. It's whether they have confessed and forsaken or not. Hallelujah. You have to confess it. The Lord... Uh, here, let me give you an example. You know the first sin, Adam and Eve. All right. Here God comes in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve have skulked off under the bushes somewhere and have made themselves aprons of, of the scratchiest leaves they could find. I think they were wanting to humiliate themselves over their sin. Like the monks of old wore hair cloth and all kinds of things to, to torment their fleshly bodies to try to get rid of their sin. So they used fig leaves. I don't know anything scratchier than fig leaves. Rougher. Seems like they could have found something a little better. Anyhow, that was it. So the Lord comes down, and what does he do? Go right off and reach under there, under those bushes, and haul them out and say, here, what? here, I know what you did. He never did that. What did he do? He said, Adam, where art thou? Adam, where are you, Adam? Where are you? Adam, where are you? There they were all the time. Didn't God know where they were? Didn't he know where they were? Why did he say, where are you? Was he ignorant? Couldn't find them? Where are you, Adam? Adam, where are you? <laughs> what was he trying to do? What was God trying to do? He was trying to get them to acknowledge it themselves. Did you ever deal with your child and say, you knew very well what your child did? Say, now oh, what happened? You tell me. You're just waiting for that child to acknowledge the thing. You know, if they'd only acknowledge it, you wouldn't have to whip them near as hard. If they'd humble themselves and say, oh, I'm sorry I did this and this. I'm just so sorry. I I did wrong and I told this lie. But they begin to justify themselves and add to it because they know you don't know about it, so I'm going to make it the way I want to make it. And your heart begins to sink. Why didn't they acknowledge it? Why didn't they? If only they had acknowledged it, see? You're waiting for them to acknowledge their sin. Amen. Adam, where are you? Well, finally, 
No response. So the Lord calls him out and says, Now, what hast thou done? Didn't he know? Didn't God know? He wouldn't be God if he didn't know. He saw the whole thing. He knew what they'd done. Why did he say, What hast thou done? Why did he say that? Again, he gave him another chance. Acknowledge it. Confess it. Confess it. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to what? Repentance. Repent. There's no way out but by repentance. There's no way. There must be repentance. Now, I'm a strong believer in baptism in Jesus' name, but I'm not going to baptize anybody that I don't feel is repented. I don't believe their sins are remitted unless they first repent. Even the power of the name of Jesus won't override a person's stubborn will. Amen. And it's up to you and I to repent. And when we repent, then there's power in the name of Jesus to remit our sins when we're baptized in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. But it has to be through repentance. Now, <clears throat> uh, repentance must come first. And so how we need it, I tell you, we do need this. Now, the New Testament retained the Old Testament teaching of repentance. Repentance was from the beginning. It wasn't something new preached in the New Testament. Repentance was demanded way back yonder, in the Old. And it wasn't changed in the New. That part of the plan of salvation has been the same from the, since the Garden of Eden. Repentance. God insists on repentance. Always has, always will. That's one thing that has never, never, never changed, never been altered. There must be a genuine heart repentance. If we can get folks to repent in our churches, we won't be finding them doing the same thing over and over again. That's right. If they genuinely repent, they'll be through with it. They'll not be doing it again after they get the Holy Ghost. They'll have settled that issue back. Issues need to be settled. It isn't enough to emotionally feel a release by squalling and crying and and getting into an emotional tizzy, there must be some cold, hard settling of the will to serve God. I will serve you, Lord. I'm through with sin. I turn my back on it. This is the will in operation. Not just the emotions, but the will. Hallelujah. And when you don't feel God, your will is still set to serve God. When you don't feel a blessing, you're still going to live holy. Amen. Because your will is set. It can't be just on the emotion. The emo Thank God for emotion. I love an emotional meeting. I love worship that's filled with emotion. But there has to be something deeper than that. There has to be the will. The will set to serve God. I'll serve the Lord. If I don't feel a thing, I'm still going to serve you, Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I've settled some things. Hallelujah. I mean business for God. Hallelujah. Let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank the Lord. Amen. Now I'm going to close with this. My time is just about up. You've been wonderfully patient. Been a great congregation. Amen. I haven't covered everything, but I'm going to get to this point because it was already mentioned this morning. And it was this morning or last night. I think it was last night by one of our fine brethren here and I, I love this I'm I, I tell you to me it's a great truth second chapter of Colossians turn with me if you will as we close because this gets to what God does for us 
when a person repents and gets baptized in the name of Jesus. Second chapter of Colossians, beginning at verse 8. I'm glad I'm one God. I'm like the Irishman. They came to the Irishman and said, what would you be if you weren't an Irishman? He said, I'd be ashamed of myself. <laughs> so if I wasn't one God Pentecostal, I'd be ashamed of myself. <laughs> Knowing what I know from the word of God. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now that's the Trinity doctrine. That's the traditions of men, the rudiments of the world. That's Trinity. That's where it came from. For in him, because in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everybody said amen. amen. Glory. That blesses my soul, blesses yours. Hallelujah. Now, and you're complete in him. That means you don't need to come once to the Lord to get Christ and another time to get the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. There are two persons you get. You get the first one, the spirit of Jesus. When you repent, you're born again. Come later on to get the Holy Ghost. Get another spirit. Two spirits. Nonsense. You're complete in him. Hallelujah. Thank God. One spirit, Ephesians 4, 4. One Holy Spirit. It's called the Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit. These are synonymous terms. And when you come to Jesus... He said, any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. This spake he of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive. So you come to Jesus, you get the spirit, you're complete in him. When the spirit comes in, it's the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit coming in. At that day you shall know that I'm in my Father, ye in me, and I in you. Hallelujah. Jesus comes in, in the Holy Ghost. You're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now let's stop there just a moment. You see, Old Testament circumcision was cutting off the foreskin of the male, and it was an operation performed on the eighth day. When a male child was brought to the priest, he was not named, he was not an Israelite, until he was circumcised. He was given his name, he was become an Israelite, he became an heir then of Israel. Without that covenant sign, he was not an Israelite, even though he was born of Israelitish parents. That's why a, Christ, a, a child born of Holy Ghost parents is not automatically filled with the Holy Ghost when he's born. He has to come himself. All right. Now, <clears throat> this is brought over now into the New Testament. We are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and in doing so, we put off the body of the sins of the flesh by means of the circumcision. Now what is that? You'll notice at the end of verse 11 that I just quoted a little uh, punctuation sign. Does anybody know what that punctuation sign is? It's a colon. You notice it? A colon. That means that what is to follow explains what has already been said. That's what the colon means. And now we get the explanation of what circumcision is in the next verse. Buried with him in baptism. You want to get rid of sin, you better repent and get baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. It cuts off the body of the sins of the flesh. Hallelujah. Genuine repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus. Buried with him in baptism is New Testament circumcision. 
buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. You see, just as circumcision was an operation, so baptism is an operation. I believe between the time that one stands in the water and the time and he's put down in the water and the time he comes up, something happens to that man down under the water. He comes up different than when he went down. Not only is he wet on the outside, but an operation has been performed on the inside. Hallelujah. The body of the sins of the flesh have been cut off. Remission of sins takes place. He, through repentance and baptism in Jesus' name, receives remission or the complete removal of his sins. Now somebody says, Brother Gray, aren't you, aren't you straining at something here? No, I'm not. There's a difference between forgiveness and remission. Some people never see that. But let me illustrate it like this. Here's a little girl that you send to the store, your little daughter, send to the store for a bottle of milk. She comes back with a bottle of milk, skipping and jumping and happy and singing her little song and runs into the front room and trips over the rug and falls down, breaks a bottle of milk. And, and it, milk, of course, just uh, uh, goes everywhere. And she runs into you crying, Mommy, forgive me, forgive me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The milk broke, or the bottle broke. The milk is all over the rug. Well, you wrap her in your arms and you say, oh, I, I know, I realize you didn't mean to do it. She says, I'm sorry, please forgive me, please forgive me, and you forgive her. Okay. Now, if that's all there was to it, everything would be fine. But just let it stay that way for two or three days. That didn't take the milk out of the rug. A peculiar odor begins to go through that house. Strange. Where did it come from? You forgave her. It should be all gone. Oh, no. What's that strange odor I smell? <laughs> I didn't take the milk out of the rug. That milk has not been remitted from the rug. You have to get in there with a mop and pail and water. Get rid of that milk. Baptize that rug. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. So you see, friends, the plan of God is perfect, converting the soul. Hallelujah. And uh, so baptism in Jesus' name is after repentance or accompanied by repentance or accompanying repentance is necessary to, to uh, cut off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Now I'm going to tell you something. I have faith in the power of the name of Jesus to remit sins. It isn't water that remits sins. I don't care whether it's hot water, cold water, salt water, sweet water, dirty water, clean water, running water, still water. None of it will remit sins. But it's a power that's in the name of Jesus and water is simply the agency that's used. That name has power in it. Hallelujah. Father, Son, Holy Ghost has no power in it. And so they say that baptism is just an outward sign of an inward work because their baptism doesn't do anything for anybody. But I know baptism in Jesus' name does. There's power in that name, and it's more than an outward sign of an inward work. It is for the remission of sins after repentance. So the plan of God for this man that we studied about with all the works of the flesh is to repent and that's the only way the works of the flesh can be cut off Colossians 2 11 that the, that's we cut off the body of the sins of the flesh 
by the circumcision of Christ through repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and the works of the flesh are cut off hallelujah isn't that wonderful I'm happy for the day that I knew this happened in my life I got rid of all those things oh praise the Lord now, that didn't mean that that it was all gone the old stump was still there we'll get to that in our future study but I mean those fruits that I had done were gone and I had repented of my sins and God for Christ's sake forgave me and my sins were remitted through the power of the name of Jesus Christ in water baptism shall we stand and praise the Lord hallelujah thank you Jesus oh glory to God hallelujah hallelujah oh bless thy wonderful name Jesus hallelujah hallelujah thank God thank God thank God we love you Jesus Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Mike say several folks came to me last night, said they were unable to come today. They wanted to come so bad, but other commitments and so forth had taken their time and they're sorry they couldn't make it. So you folks are gonna have to to uh, Kind of take notes and, and uh, let those that are not here know what it's all about. Because this is a very important lesson. I want you to get it. I believe the Lord will use it for his glory in your life. So let's just open our hearts right now, shall we? And unite in prayer together and ask God to have his way next hour. Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you in Jesus' name. Oh, let your spirit move, we pray. Hallelujah. Let us feel the nearness of God. Oh, Lord, use us for your glory in the name of Jesus. We believe thee for it, Lord, and trust thee now for thy glory and thy presence. Have your wonderful way, dear Lord, in Jesus' name. We believe thee for a great time, Lord. Open the eyes of understanding to the truth of God this morning. We give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you for it, Lord. For Jesus' sake, praise God, praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Now, you that have your little chart, you know that we introduced the subject yesterday. We made mention of the fact that so many times folks that receive the Holy Ghost wonder why they still battle against sin and the world. <clears throat> Temptations still come. And uh, they think that they sin when they're tempted. Wonder why they could ever be tempted back into the world again, and yet temptation does come. And may I say this, that temptation is not a sin. To be tempted is not a sin. Yielding to temptation is a sin. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So being tempted isn't a sin, and because you're tempted doesn't mean that you sin. Sometimes you feel so guilty when you're tempted. Why in the world, if I'm not a sinner and this awful uh, temptation come to me, you know, and you feel awful guilty. But it's like somebody said one time to, uh, uh, to, to look at a woman, you know, the lust after her, the Bible says, come into adultery already in your heart. So somebody put it this way, to look at a woman, Glance and notice her is one thing, but to 
than to look back. That's, that's where sin comes in. See? Temptation has come. You can't keep it away from you. Uh, nearly naked bodies all around you when you're out in the world. Billboards and newspaper ads and every ungodly thing in the world is spread before you. And God doesn't want us to be blind, I don't suppose. But at the same time, friends, it's that second look that's the wrong kind of second look. That's right, the right kind you heard about last night. There's the wrong kind, too. And that's when you, you allow the lust to get into your heart and, and, and yield to it, see. The, the thoughts are going to come. Thoughts are going to come. Like somebody said one time that you can't keep the birds from flying over your head. But you can prevent them from making a nest in your hair. You can't keep the thought from coming. It will come, but you don't have to entertain it and, 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 and dwell on it and allow it to continue on in your mind, see, and accept it. That's where sin arises, in the thought life. Amen. So this is something for us to understand, that we all still have a nature that if it is allowed to, will destroy every one of us. That's the fallen human nature. Now, we're going to get a little later to the different teachings concerning how to deal with these old nature. We're not getting into that today. That's a very important part of this study. And we want to get to the false teachings concerning it and the true teaching concerning it. But today, we're just emphasizing again the fact that we still have an old nature and that New Convert says, why am I battling all the time against sin and the flesh? Maybe I didn't really get the Holy Ghost. Maybe I'm not saved. And the devil says, ah, that's right. You, did, you just didn't get anything or else these temptations and thoughts wouldn't come. And then they see that folks that are mature in God lose out with the Lord, and sometimes they do things that they, as a young convert, wouldn't do. And so then they say, well, if it's so real and wonderful, why are they doing that? And they become a stumbling block. And all this is sometimes because many people fail to understand and realize that we have now two natures, fighting for possession of the same body. That's what this study is all about. Now, we started in our study with the natural man. And that study of the natural man showed the works of the flesh manifest in his life. The nature brought forth the fruit. A fig tree is not a fig tree because it produces figs, but it produces figs because it's a fig tree. A man sins, He's not a sinner because he sins, but he sins because he's a sinner. That's his nature, to sin. As soon as a child gets to a certain age, uh, sin begins to manifest itself in his life because that's his nature. And he can't help it. Part of us were born that way of the flesh. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. Hallelujah. Everybody said amen. You must be born again because... You can't inherit the kingdom of God unless you have another nature. This nature cannot please God because it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17 bring us the foundation scripture for our study. I'll read it again to you. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, 
But let me remind you again that this is written to people filled with the Holy Ghost, not written to sinners. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And in connection with that, Romans 6, 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. So we have one nature or the other, and we're giving away, yielding to the one nature or the other nature. We are spirit-filled people. But in order for us to understand this, we started with the nature we were born with. And the man with just, with that nature, is the natural man. We studied concerning the works of the flesh. Then we found out that God had a plan to deal with sin. And the plan was starting with repentance. That's not the entire plan. Thank God for what repentance and baptism in Jesus' name does. Amen. It cuts off the body and the sins of the flesh. That's why baptism in Jesus' name is for the remission or the complete removal of the sins that you have committed. And it's like cutting the tree off. Cutting the tree off and all those, the former fruit or the works of the flesh are cut off out of your life. But the old nature still remains. There it is. The same nature. Now you and I both know that if this is all that happened to you, if this is as far as you've gone, you just cut off the branches off of the tree, you know what's going to happen, don't you? Have you ever done this to a tree? Have you? You know what's going to happen to that tree? Branches are going to come out of that thing. And eventually those branches are going to produce the same fruit that you cut off before. You haven't solved the problem entirely yet. Thank God for folks that have gone this far. Thank God for folks like Apollos that have repented of their sins. Thank God for that. I, I don't want to take anybody, anything away from anybody. Thank God for folks that have repented genuinely and sincerely and completely repented and gone as far as they know how to go with God and that this is as far as they've gone. But that isn't enough. That's not enough. That's the first step. And it's essential. You're not going to be able to go any farther until you go this far. The folks that have gone this far have made a start, but that's not the end. And they're in trouble if this is all the further they've gone. And we have folks in our churches that have gone this far. And somehow they feel so good about it that they sit right down and, and don't go any further. And they're in trouble because they're not born again yet. They don't have a new nature yet. They've still got the old one, but they don't have the new one. They've dealt with the past sins, the deeds of sin, but the nature of sin still remains. They've still got the old nature, see? Amen. I want you to think about it. And in the book of Job, in the book of Job, chapter 14, verses 7 to 9, we read concerning a tree that's been cut down. For there is hope of a tree. Now this is what we're talking about here. There is hope of a tree if it be cut down. 
that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die on the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. Now, that's exactly what happened. This is a fellow that's made a start for God. He's been baptized, he's repented, been baptized in Jesus' name. Thank God for as far as he's gone. But if you start watering the plant, something's going to happen. Amen. He has to go on from here. This is not enough. He has to go on. So that's what Jesus taught. Now, let me just say this. Repentance was taught in the Old Testament. And if repentance was all that was necessary, Jesus need never have come. Folks could repent without Jesus coming and go that far. But John the Baptist said, I, can, I need baptizing with water into repentance. You can get that from me. But there's one coming after me whose shoe latched I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. It took Jesus coming, dying, being buried, rising again, ascending up to heaven, receiving the promise of the Father, shedding forth this for folks to get the Holy Ghost, a new nature. The Old Testament did not produce a new nature within people's lives. They could repent. That's right. And so with poor Baptists and Methodists and so forth, they could get what they got in the Old Testament. But they couldn't be. You can't get Pentecost until you come into the New Testament. There's where you get Pentecost. And the secret of real Bible salvation is found in the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's where you get a new nature. Not just a negative taking away from you of the old, a sin to the flesh, but the planting into you of a brand new nature, which is the nature of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Everybody said praise the Lord. Amen. Now, I like I like what I'm talking about. I hope you like what you're hearing. Because believe me, We've got the answer to what this poor old world needs. Amen. It isn't what Jimmy Carter's got that's got the answer. He says he's born again. I wish he were. I do. I wish he were. Yes, sir. I wish he were. He may have gone this far. Well, he hasn't gone this far because he hasn't been baptized in Jesus now. But I wish he'd go and really find out what it means to be born again. Hallelujah. I wish he and Reagan and Ford and all, everybody else knew what I know and experienced what I've experienced. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Thank God. Hallelujah. All right. Let's move ahead. So branches of sin will soon reappear if this man does not go on to receive the Holy Ghost. And Jesus gave a picture of that when he said that the man that had the devils cast out of him, that the evil spirit went out Seeking rest and finding none, this is found in Matthew chapter 12, came back to the house and found it empty, swept, and garnished. It was cleaned, remission of sins had taken place, and the devil had been cast out, but it was empty. And the tragic thing about an empty life is that the devil moves back in again. And so the devil looks in, peeks in the window, sees the house all swept, cleaned up, garnished with pictures on the wall, new rugs on the floors, painted, fixed up, beautiful, said, I'd like to go back into my old house again. It's all nice and fixed up, clean, 
I want to live back in there again. But he says, I know if I go back in, I'll be cast out like I was before. I'll get reinforcements. And he goes out and gets seven other devils, each worse than himself. And the eight of them come back in. And they say, I'm not going out now. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now think about it. The devil moves back in again. And there is another scripture that says, it's better for this man not to have known the way of righteousness and having known it, turn from the holy commandment that he had obeyed before and turn back into the beggarly elements of the world. Better for him never to have been saved than to be saved and go back on God. Amen? All right, so really this man hasn't got it all yet by any means. He needs some more. And what he needs is the baptism of the Holy Ghost which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when he receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he truly becomes a born-again man. Now, we move ahead to the next chart, and you'll notice that the born-again man has received, engrafted into him, a, a brand-new little, little shoot, little graft. Now, before we get into this, until we find out what this is all about, let me tell you a little story. An old briar was growing in a ditch, worthless and useless. And a gardener came along with a spade one day and began digging around its roots and finally lifted it out. The briar asked this question. What is he doing this for? Doesn't he know that I'm just a worthless old briar? But the gardener took it and put it in his garden. What a mistake he's made, the old briar said, putting me, just a worthless old briar, like myself, among such beautiful roses. But that's not the end of the story. The gardener came once more and budded it with a rose. Now, do you understand what I mean when I say he budded it? He took a knife and he made a cut in it and put a little slip from a rose into that bud. We call it grafting. He budded it with a rose. He grafted the rose into that worthless old briar. Now, by and by, when summer came, lovely roses were blooming on the old briar. Then the gardener said, your beauty is not that is not due to that which came out of you, but to that which I put in you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now the human heart is no better than that old briar. That's that old nature. We're no better. But the heavenly gardener, the Lord Jesus Christ, can graft in the wonderful divine Holy Ghost and the impossible happens. That which cannot be done is being done in your life and mine. Graces are put in. Spirituality is found in that old natural man or the natural life which was so carnal before and natural. Because of what he put into us, not because of what we are naturally, 
Now this gets to the thought of grafting. Second uh, Peter 1, 4 tells us that we who receive the Holy Ghost have received a different nature. Second Peter 1, 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Now this nature, I wish I had a pointer. I'll use a pencil. This nature is the divine nature. This nature is the divine nature. This nature is the human nature. The fallen human nature. And you remember that we told you yesterday that that nature came from the devil. We got it from our parents, they got it from their parents, they got it from their parents, back to Adam who got it from the devil. That's where it came from. It's a satanic nature. It's a demoniacal nature. It is a fallen nature. It cannot ever please God. It is a sinful human nature called sin without the S in the Bible. Most all times when you read the word in the New Testament, sin, not sins, but sins, it refers to the nature. The word sins refers to the actions, the outward deeds. But sin, singular, refers to the nature that causes you to do those outward deeds of sin. So this old nature is a sinful nature, and it cannot ever please God, and it, and it can't live holy. It is completely, utterly depraved. The new nature is the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is the divine nature. We are made partakers of the divine nature in the Holy Ghost. Now, I want you to know what you got when you got the Holy Ghost. A lot of times we think it means, well, bless God, I'm saved. I've, I've got something to shout about. I've got something to get happy about. And you do. But that's not at all, all of it. Because something gives me power. Hallelujah. You should see power after that. The Holy Ghost comes upon you. Thank God for power. But I want you to know what you have there. You have a divine nature. You have inside of you planted, crafted, the nature of Jesus Christ himself. I want you to think how wonderful that is and realize it. Now, there's some names of the new nature. New names. The name is called spirit. That which is born of the spirit is spirit, John 3, 6. It's the divine nature, 2 Peter 1, 4. It's the new man that you put on the new man, Ephesians 4, 24. It is the inward man, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, Romans 7, 22. It is the spirit of Christ. Now, if any man is not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his... Romans 8, 9. These are names of that new nature that is put within us. Now, the new nature that is grafted in is the nature of Jesus Christ himself. Colossians 1, 27. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I want us to turn to two passages of Scripture that to me are very wonderful and very seldom used in the Bible, but they describe and they tell us what this new nature is. Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10, and Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24. First of all, Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. Now, this describes this wonderful new nature, the nature, the divine nature. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Lie not one to another, seeing 
that he have put off the old man with his deeds. Now this is the old man, and you reckon him dead, as we'll get to in another study, and you put off his deeds. Now, verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, God has created in you a new man. And this new man is created in knowledge after the likeness or image of the one that created him. Now, who created it? God. So the new man inside of you is made in the image of God. Hallelujah. The nature of the Lord himself, a divine nature. Now, in order for us to grasp what this really means, let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22, 23, and 24. And this is a kindred scripture. They're very, very similar, but it brings out another phase of this. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. That you put off concerning the former manner of living, or conversation, the old man, that's this one, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now this is, again, I want to remind you, it's written to a Holy Ghost so people. This is not written to sinners. We, we couldn't put off the old man unless we had him to put off, could we? We couldn't deal with him unless we had, still had him to deal with. All right, so we've still got him to deal with, and you've got to deal with him every day you live. And we're told to put him off with his deeds because he's corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. A lot of this is in the mind. That's where the battle goes on. That's the battleground. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the mind is the place. If you think evil thoughts, don't ever think that uh, you can be spiritual because you're living in the flesh. Those evil thoughts come from below. If you allow yourself to continually think of them, we said before, you can't hinder thoughts from coming, but you you don't have to entertain them or welcome them or accept them. Amen. Now, notice the next verse. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. Some people are afraid of that word holiness. I wish they were afraid of the word unholiness as they are the word holiness. Immediately you mention holiness, they said nobody can live holy. They are immediately defensive. You know, they're just immediately they go right on the defensive. Well, I don't think we ought to do that. I think we ought to realize that God has given us his holy nature to help us to live holy lives right here on this earth. Not off in heaven somewhere, but here and now. Not by your own power or strength, you don't have it, but by the power of that new nature, which is pure and holy and like Jesus. That's why he gave it to you. Now you've got two natures. You've got one that is corrupt. You've got one that is devilish. You are born with it. You still have it. You've got another one that is like Jesus. One like the first Adam, one like the second Adam. One like your first daddy, another one like your second daddy. 
Two lines of heredity. You've been born twice. One line goes through back to Adam, to the devil. The other line goes right directly to Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Jesus had two lines of heredity. He was born of Mary. He had a human nature. Amen. But he had a, he was God manifest in the flesh. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost overshadowed the Virgin Mary. The Holy Ghost is overshadowed us. New nature is given to us. Praise the Lord. Not get into that too deeply. But nevertheless, it's wonderful to realize. So the new nature grafted in is the nature of Jesus Christ himself. One nature cannot do anything but sin. The other nature cannot sin. Because it is born of God. Hallelujah. Two natures. Praise the Lord. Now, this is what we receive in the Holy Ghost. And uh, the tragic thing is that so many people don't know that they have given to them a nature that is like Jesus, and they have the, what shall I say, God's intention is that it, the fruit of the Spirit be produced through the new nature. Now, uh, we already mentioned to you what will happen when the branches come out of this, this uh, stump of the old nature. But that new nature produces an entirely different kind of fruit, and we're going to get to that in, a, in another study. Lord willing, Friday we'll get to that. So now, the whole thing is, which nature are you going to give yourself to? Once again, let me tell you the little story about the Indians. I think I mentioned it to you. The Indian said, I've got two dogs fighting inside of me, a black dog and a white dog. Now, which is going to win? He said, the one that I feed. The one that I nourish. Now, coming to camp meeting, you're nourishing the new nature. If you go home and sit down, read the newspaper, look at TV, read novels, gossip over the back fence, you're feeding the old nature. You can't expect to be a Christian that way. You're feeding the old nature. It's rising up inside of you. It's going to produce the old kind of fruit again in spite of everything. All the church preaching, the church you go to, the preacher preaching action, everything that's happening around you will not prevent that old man from rising up and taking over your life. You're feeding that old man. Amen. You're feeding him. So we've got two natures. And this other nature can never please God. It's that eternal enmity, enmity against God. It's part of that system of, of uh, demons, powers, that is arrayed against God. We can't help that we got it. We were born with it. So the Lord has a way for us to have the victory and keep it. He gives us his own nature. He died on Calvary to do it. To produce in us his life. Holiness. His holiness. Hallelujah. Now, some of our people are like Christmas trees. Preacher goes around, tries to make them love each other. 
so he hangs love on it, like you'd hang a little ornament. He hangs love on it. He hangs peace on it. Have peace now with each other now, please. Please have peace, please. And he hangs peace on it. And he puts some more tinsel over here, and he puts a little bauble over here, and he puts a little doodad over there. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. That tree's already dead. <laughs> Been cut out of the field. Not alive. God's plan is that you grow this through prayer, surrender to God, obedience to the Word, the house of God, faithfulness, fasting, the Spirit of God coming, rising up, growing inside of it, till eventually the fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, is produced by the Spirit, not the fruit of Westburg or Gray or Price, the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of you. You put your name in there. It's not your fruit. Your fruit would be the wrong kind. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Praise the Lord. So you have to give in, yield yourself. As you have yielded your members, servants to unrighteousness, now yield your members, servants to God. The holiness. Hallelujah. Now, let's move to the next one. And this is a very important part of the study. We have preached, and I think it's necessary for us to do it, we have preached evangelistically to the sinner over and over again, you better make your choice. Choose you this day who you will serve. We call a sinner to make a choice. We need to. But that's not the only choice that has to be made. When a sinner comes and he makes his choice for God, says, I'll serve the Lord, sometimes he doesn't know what he's doing. All he knows is he's got a load of sin on him and he wants to get rid of it. That's all he knows. He's burdened down. He comes to the Lord, repents of his sins, receives the Holy Ghost, but his life has been set in such a pattern that unless he recognizes it, he's apt to fall back into the same old life again. Because habit is so strong and tyrannous that it will take hold of you and pull you back into the same groove and rut that you were before you were saved. See, the, the Holy Ghost doesn't force you to, to be different. If you were, if you had the habit years gone by to lay in on every morning and sleep till 10, 30, 11 o'clock every morning, after you get the Holy Ghost, you do the same thing. We men put our trousers on one foot at a time. We don't jump into them. And strangely enough, you men try to put on your trousers with a different foot first. You'll trip and fall on your face. That's right. Try it sometimes. You can't do it. Why? Because you're used to doing it the other way. It's part of your life. Put your left foot first generally, at least I do. Maybe you do it the other way around. You ever stop and think about it? <laughs> That's right. We're creatures of habit. And when you get the Holy Ghost, you still go on putting the trousers on the same way you did before. Right, it hasn't changed you there. And God's not going to just take you by a, by a, a strong hand and say, here now, you just behave yourself and force you into a, his groove. It says, I beseech you therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies 
Give them to the Lord. God help me. My life has been set in another pattern. I want to get it in your pattern. Your way, Lord. That you present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable sacrifice. Oh, friends, this is the way God wants it to be. And so when we come to the Lord, after we've received the Holy Ghost, there's a choice for us to make. Now, I teach our people that uh, the first year of their salvation is a very crucial year. The first year after they get the Holy Ghost, a very crucial year. Because that's the year they're going to set their lives into the pattern that they will follow the rest of their Christian life. If we can help these new converts to set their lives into the proper pattern right after they're saved, they'll save a great deal of heartache later on. Amen. So, uh, every born-again man has a choice, not just every sinner. But after you get the Holy Ghost, you've got to make a choice. Because now you've got two natures. Before, you only had one. Now you've got both. You've got two. Amen. Some people have the idea when they get the Holy Ghost, the other one is completely gone. They don't need to worry anymore about this. And automatically, they're going to, there's going to be a brand new life and they're... God's going to just put them into that and just going to work out automatically. No. Romans tells us otherwise. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 9. Now, this is a very important passage of Scripture. The 8th chapter of Romans is a spirit-filled chapter written to Holy Ghost-filled people. And I want you to notice what it says. And I rejoice in the wonderful promises and verses in this 8th chapter of Romans. But there's this portion that I want us to especially think about right now. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 9. <clears throat> but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Now, this is the important part. Therefore, brethren, we owe something. But we don't owe anything to the flesh, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. We don't owe the flesh and the world and the devil anything. Amen. We are debtors, all right, but not to the flesh. Yet we spend most of our time and energy and effort taking care of the flesh. We feed it three good square meals a day. We treat it to air conditioning, we clothe it, we part its hair, try to keep its hair, if we can. We doctor it, we pill it, we get beauty rest mattresses for it to sleep on, we pamper it, we make sure it has a good education. Ninety-nine and 99, 100% of our time, effort, energy, and money is taken to watch out after it. We think we owe it a lot. We're debtors. Paul says we don't owe it any. We think we do, but we don't, really. Praise the Lord. Lord help us. <laughs> we owe something. What do we owe it to? The Spirit. We're debtors. Not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if, if I 
you've got a choice. You don't have to do this. You folks don't have to be here this morning. Nobody compelled you to come. Nobody beat you over the head and said, you better be there or else. You're here because you want to be. There's something inside of you that says, I'm coming to church. I want to know God. I'm hungry for the things of God. Hallelujah. If ye, through the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the new nature, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now this is written, the Holy Ghost-filled people. If you live after the flesh, you, spirit-filled, shall die. You're going to go to hell. Got the Holy Ghost? Yes. Baptized in Jesus' name? Yes. But if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if, choice is yours now, if through the Holy Ghost you deal with this old flesh, you put him down, you mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So we got a choice, don't we? Amen. This has got to be you. I heard, I heard Brother Gidrow say one time, he says, I take the old man, I sit him down on a splintered bench. I say, now you enjoy that service. When you get fidgety, you sit still. When you get tired, get sleepy, get your eyes open. You're going to enjoy that service. I take that old man and I make him submit. Sometimes he doesn't want to, but he's going to do it anyhow. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's going to do it anyhow. I never will forget Brother Cagle saying this one time, our former district superintendent. He said one time, he said he was going to pray two hours. It was late at night. And uh, he said, I told the Lord I was going to pray two hours. So I got down and started to pray. I prayed about an hour, he said, and I could begin to get sleepy. And before I knew it, before I realized what I was doing, I was yawning. And I had my head up like this, and I was yawning up toward God. My mouth was wide open. I didn't even bother to put my hand over my mouth. Say, excuse me, Lord. Now, you can't insult anybody more than yawning in their face. And here he said, I was yawning in the face of God. And I realized that it was an insult to God. And I said, oh, man, just for that, you're going to pray four hours. And you're not going to yawn once. And he said, I prayed four hours, and I refused to allow myself to yawn. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You better know how to deal with this old fella. He gets tired. He gets, he gets ornery. He gets mean. He gets, he gets uh, rebellious. He's not subject to God. He says, I won't. He, you say, oh, you will. No, it isn't all peaches and cream. Paul said, I beat my body. I whip it into line. Now, of course, I'm not saying this joy isn't there. It's there. You don't, don't talk to me about heavy crosses or a burden hard to bear. For I've found this great salvation makes each burden light appear. And I love to follow Jesus, gladly counting all but long. Worldly pleasures all forsaken for the glory of the cross. Oh, the cross has wondrous beauty. Oft I prove this to be true. When I'm in the way so narrow, I can see a pathway through. And how sweetly Jesus whispers, Take thy cross, thou needst not fear, for I've tried the way before thee, and the glory lingers near. Hallelujah! 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 Let's praise the Lord! Oh, hallelujah! 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 Praise! Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So the choice is yours. You can live after the flesh. That's the first choice we're going to talk about. I'm talking about the negative first. Then we'll get to the positive later. The negative is this. You can live after the flesh and become a carnal man. Now we get to the study of the carnal man. We studied the repentant man. We studied, we studied the natural man. We studied the repentant man. We studied the born-again man. Now we're getting to the carnal man. Now the carnal man is not a man that hasn't known God or doesn't know God. In the Bible, when you read about someone that's carnal, you read about somebody that knows God. But the word carnal means that it's living after the flesh. The word carnal is quite significant. It means pertaining to the flesh or fleshly, having to do with the flesh nature or bodily appetite. Carnivorous animals are flesh-eating animals. The word carne means flesh. You ever eat chili con carne? Means chili with meat. Try to find the meat, though. <laughs> you find a lot of beans in there, but you won't find much meat. But that's what really what it means. Chili with meat. Carne, meat, flesh. Carnival, flesh feet. Good place to stay away from. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Didn't know I was going to say that, did you? Oh, I did. Doesn't take it back. Hallelujah. Carnival, flesh feet. Carnations, flesh-colored flowers. Originally they were. The word carne, flesh. Carnal, fleshly. A man that has the Holy Ghost. You ever see anybody with the Holy Ghost living a fleshly life? They're in our churches. They're sitting in our pews. People with the Holy Ghost baptizing his name. You ask them to testify, they'll get up. They generally don't testify bubbling. You have to ask them to testify. And up they get and they say, Bless God, I'm so glad I'm repentant and baptized in Jesus' name and see the Holy Ghost. Sit down. <laughs> About all they got to say. They harken back to 20 years ago to an experience they had. Think that that one experience back 20 years ago is going to take them all the way to glory. They don't know anything about crucifying the flesh. They don't know anything about prayer and fasting and seeking God, living in the Spirit, overcoming the world, the flesh, the devil. They don't know anything about those things. They just sit down and say, bless God, I'm in that time, Jesus' name, it's the Holy Ghost. Don't know anything about intercessory prayer. Don't know anything about carrying burdens. Don't know anything about digging deep in God. Don't know anything about overcoming. Don't know anything about sanctification. Those are foreign terms to them. They don't like long sermons. They're like sermonettes for Christianettes. <laughs> well, of course, I hope there's none here today. I don't know. But I'll tell you this right now. I believe with all of my heart that we need to watch out for carnal carnality. The carnal man is not a baby Christian. He is a dwarf Christian. He is a stunted Christian. He's not a new convert. He is a regenerated man but lacks normal spiritual development. He's not an infant child, but he's a disobedient child. He's a victim of, of the fleshly nature within him. Now, I want you to notice a few of the marks of carnality in the Bible. First of all, turn to Hebrews, if you will. Chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. 
and verse 11 to 14. Paul said that he was talking to them about Melchizedek, and uh, he said here in this chapter, he said, We have many things to say concerning Melchizedek, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. Now here we are in 1976, wanting to know about Melchizedek. But because those Christians were carnal, Paul couldn't tell them about it, we don't know. And we suffer because of the carnality of those Christians back there. Paul said, I'd like to tell you about him, but I can't. Because you can't accept it. You're, you're carnal. So I'm not going to tell you. So I read and read and read, but he says, I'm not telling you. And I want to know. He said, I, can't, I, have, I didn't tell you because... And so we read, but here it is. We're suffering because of the carnality. Of the, and listen, some carnal Christians don't realize it, but others suffer because of their carnality. When one gets carnal in the church, they are influenced, begins to spread out, spread out. And others suffer. Says, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. You are. It's like the two fellas in the boat. A little canoe. And uh, one fellow had a brace and bit, and he was born a hole under, in front of him. The other fellow was saying, what are you doing there? He says, I'm born under my own seat. None of your business. It is our business how you live and walk and talk. Yes, sir, it affects everybody. Praise God. These carnal people, Paul said, I want to write to you. I want to tell you about Melchizedek, but I can't do it. So I want to read about Melchizedek, and I can't read about it because those people are carnal, and Paul couldn't tell it. Then he goes on to say, For when for the time ye ought to be teaching. Now I believe, now this is grace speaking, but I think I've got my feet in the Bible when I say it. I believe that every Christian after a certain period of time ought to be a teacher. You ought to be a teacher, Paul said. You ought to be able to teach others. You ought to be teaching others. You ought to be in introducing this gospel to others, telling them about it, going to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Then he said in Matthew 28, to preach the gospel to all, uh, going to all the world and teach all nations, didn't he? Then baptize them. Teach them what? Teach them how to be saved. Everybody should be a teacher of others. So he said, for when for the time he ought to be teachers, you ought to be helping somebody else. But here you are sitting there and getting angry if somebody doesn't shake your hand. Getting mad if the preacher doesn't cater to you. Instead of helping somebody else, you're a drain on the whole assembly. You're a drain on everybody else. You're wanting to be pampered and petted, carried around on a little pillow, and have your feelings soothed uh, all the time. I told the saints one day, I said, if you get your feelings hurt, if I step on your toes, uh, you come to me after service and I'll forgive you. And then another time I said, if you don't get, if I don't step on your toes, forgive me, I'm sorry. I intend to. Get your toes in. Like the girl that said, preacher, you rubbed my fur the wrong way. He said, turn around then. 
So when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and will become such as of need of milk. And instead, instead of growing and becoming so you could eat meat, you grew for a while and then you went back. And you have become milk drinkers again. After you grew for a while, and you're just about ready for me to tell you about Melchizedek, <laughs> down you went. Now you're milk drinkers again. I don't know anything more beautiful than a little baby. Weak little thing. And just the most beautiful thing in the world is to see a new, newly born baby. They're just the most delightful, beautiful creature on the face of the earth. And you just feel so warm and cuddly when you, when you see one, you know. And here's the mother that she has a newborn baby. So sweet and lovely. And she just holds it to her bosom. And so precious. And the little thing can squall and vomit. And <laughs> you have to change his diapers, you know. And the mother doesn't mind. That's. Wait a minute, though. Time goes on. She thinks that's cute, you know, the way it does. But wait a minute. Time goes on. A year goes by. Two years. Three years. Little thing is still cuddly. Still milk. Still vomit. Still have to change diapers. Still the same size. Mother gets worried. Why? Wasn't it sweet and lovely? Yes, but it should be different now. That mother's heart gets heavy as lead. Tears are shed. Cries. Dear God, what's happened? Baby, little baby's still cooing. It ought to be still wanting milk. I still have to change it. It ought to be developing. What's wrong? That mother's heart just hurts so deep. How do you think God feels about his people? What do you think God feels about it? He's birthed us. He's born us of his spirit. And here we are, still back in the same condition we were. Oh, God in heaven, help us. Help us to realize that we need to grow and develop in God. That's not natural. That's not the way God intended it to be. Have to be carried around and pampered and petted and hurt feelings and the past has to soothe you and all that sort of thing. Oh, Lord, help us. We've got a job to do for Jesus. Why don't we move out and do it? Praise the Lord and not have to be catered to and have our feelings soothed and the pastor's time taken up with that sort of thing. But he ought to be out there preaching to others and you working right with him and presenting this gospel to a world, living a victorious, happy Christian, rejoicing life, getting strong in God. Some folks, you look at them cross-eyed, they backslide right now. Just out they go. You treat me better matter, I'll go out. Paul said, you, something's wrong with you. You're abnormal. That's not the way God intended to be. And so he said, you, you become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskilled from the word of righteousness. For, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, I want you to understand this, who by reason of use, have their spiritual faculties exercised 
to discern both good and evil. Now, here's the little boy sitting in church, and he wiggled. His mother said, Johnny, you sit still. So he wiggled. And his mother says, you be quiet. But God says, wiggle. Why? Because those muscles have to develop. And the only way they can develop is by using them. So he wiggles. He squirms and he wiggles and he wiggles and he wiggles. You be quiet. And he tries. And after a little bit, he's wiggling and squirming again. Something inside of him says wiggle. So he wiggles. By reason of use. Use. Those muscles develop, grow. He has to wiggle to grow. He has to go into motion, exercises to grow. You're given, every baby has as many muscles as you have. Why can't it run? It crawls on the floor. It uses those muscles. They're very small and tender. But as he uses them, they grow and develop. It strengthens them, and then he can stand, tottering, you know. There he is, just tottering. And so you help him with your hand, and oh, it's so wonderful to see him when he crosses over the first few steps and gets to a chair over there. Or his mother stands there, come on, sweetheart, come on, come on, come on. And the little fellow comes and falls into his mother's arms. So you see, muscles have to be used to grow and develop. Just because you have them doesn't mean that they're usable yet. You have to exercise them. They have to be used. Paul said herein, do I exercise myself? Spiritual athletics. I train myself like I'm going to the Olympic Games. One fellow that went to the Olympic Games this time said, for five years, I trained for this moment. Five years, he ran 10 miles a day and rigorously limited his eating. His activities were centered around that one goal. Those Olympic Games, the task, the task. I hear him, do I exercise myself, Paul said, to have a conscience void of offense toward God and man. Hallelujah. I work at this. It's not just a spare time activity. It's something I work at. It's it takes my attention, my heart, my life, my all is put into it. So by reason of use, we have our spiritual faculties discerned, sharpened, quickened, exercised. We exercise them. And after a while, they become a strength, power. Hallelujah. We can eat meat. We can help others. We can lift the fallen. We can counsel people. We can have strength for the task. We won't faint under the burden. Amen. Carnal Christian, lazy Christian. Carnal Christian doesn't exercise himself. Carnal Christian sits down and wants everybody else to cater to him. Carnal Christian is weak and subject to, to every little flu virus, spiritual flu virus that comes along. Every little thing, every little wind of doctrine that comes, he's eating it up. You have to pull him back. Say, no, 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 leave it alone. Naughty, naughty. Pull him back. Oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> I don't know whether I've gotten anywhere or not, but I hope I have. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'll tell you, folks. You know, we need to grow. This is the thing that's close to my heart. So many folks filling our churches today, they don't understand this at all. But carnality is the enemy 
of every child of God. We can become carnal so easy. The whole world is pulling us that direction. Every agency in the world is involved in trying to get a child of God to let down. And that, yes, you criticize your pastor for trying to lift up a standard. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody has to do it. Here he stands between the living and the dead, trying to lift up a standard. Carnal Christians sit there and criticize him. But everything in the world is trying to destroy the church of the living God. Every agency in the world, the schools, the, the uh, advertising, the newspapers, uh, the, the very society itself, all the other denominations, everything is working against the church of the living God. You ought to stand by your pastor and hold his hands up and love him and appreciate him if he's got enough backbone to tell you where you're wrong. Hallelujah. Amen. And help you make it to heaven. Help you to be a mature Christian. Help you to learn how to exercise yourself in spiritual matters. Help you to develop these qualities that God has given you. All of them are given you just like a baby has all the muscles. But they need to be exercised and developed and grow. Hallelujah. Let's praise the Lord together, shall we? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, let's stand for a moment. I've got just a few more minutes. And I, want, I don't want you to get tired on me. I want you to worship God in these last few minutes to just get what God has for us. Let's worship the Lord again, shall we? Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, while you remain standing, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is another verse or two concerning carnal Christians. And we want to deal with this and conclude our study today with this passage of scripture. I think it will be what we need to finalize our remarks today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll read them and then have you sit down in a few moments. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first three verses. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. <clears throat> for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envy and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of, of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Now here we have some of the earmarks of carnality that we'll be touching on for the next few moments. Would you be seated, please? First of all, the carnal man is childish in his attitudes and actions. He said, I, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual people that is unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. In other words, you are like babies. There's a difference between being childlike and childish. The Lord wants us to be childlike in some ways, but to be childish is something entirely different. And a carnal Christian is a childish Christian. He's old enough to know better. He's old enough to be better. He should be, uh, as Paul wrote in, in Hebrews, a teacher by now. 
but he has to be catered to, and he has to be uh, uh, dealt with, and, and he, has to, he has to be sort of pampered along. So he's childish. He has to be treated like a baby, but he's abnormal, and he's a grief to his pastor, and he's a grief to God who intended better things for him than that. And so in the program of the church, the carnal man is usually very enthusiastic about socials, about amusements, about parties, about playtime. Oh, he'll come to those. No problem there. He enjoys that so very much. Now, of course, they are part of the church, but they're secondary. That's not the main line, friends. That's not the main line. The carnal man is childish. He wants to play. He wants to be entertained. He wants to be amused. He's strong for pageants and pictures and plays, you know. He enjoys those things, but the solid preaching of the Word of God gets under his skin. He just doesn't like that. And uh, the carnal man is careless concerning his prayer life, concerning Bible study, concerning attendance. He uh, oftentimes enjoys going to worldly places of amusement. Some of them, of course, are not uh, altogether sinful, but this is what he enjoys. You know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with going out and having game baseball with the kids sometimes. I enjoy it myself. But this fellow's taken up playing golf and playing tennis and, and uh, baseball, and he wants to do that all day long. He's not really. He'd rather do that than come to church. And others are selfish and mercenary and proud and self-willed. Children do not work. And so it's hard to get this carnal man really involved in the program of the church. Um, he's not a producer in the spiritual realm. The second thing about the carnal man is that he's confined to elementary spiritual nourishment. Since I fed you with milk and not with meat, hitherto you're not able to bear it, now you're not able. I can't give you meat. Uh, he approves moral teachers and social reforms and, and condemning of crime, and he's against war, and he's got, you know, he, 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 he lines up with, with the moral indignation against uh, massage parlors and all that sort of thing. But he's not strong for good old, strong Bible study. And uh, he's not much interested in doctrinal sermons. He likes these short services, sermonettes and something light, bright, brief, and brotherly. He wants the milk of the word, and oftentimes that's diluted down. He's moral, but he's not spiritual. You know, it's easy to be moral and not spiritual. That's what this man is. Let me go ahead and paint his picture. I'm giving you a photograph of the carnal man today. The next thing about him in verse 3 is that he caters to fleshly indulgences. You see, he says there's among you envy and strife and division. So practically all church troubles are the results of carnality. Amen. Practically all of them. Just go down the line. Whenever you find a church split or problems arising in the church, pin it down, ferret it out. You'll find carnality is at the root of it. Amen. Try to find it. Church that's really on fire for God does not have much church trouble. Uh, church where the people pray and seek God, and where they, they love the Word of God and all this sort of thing, their hearts are in good, not much uh, problems there. But uh, the carpet in the, in the counseling room is worn thin by carnal people. 5% of the people do most of the work in the church. pastor has very little trouble with those. People that pay their tithes, that are faithful at it, there's very little trouble with those that really are all out for God. But, the, but on the other end of the spectrum, the 15 or 20% that cause him all of his troubles, a 
carnal people. Practically all of his time is taken up with those. And they're the ones that don't support the work. And they're the ones you don't see out of prayer meeting. And they're the ones that you just don't, don't see really dig in and conquer themselves. They have strong fleshly appetites. pastor tries to help them. And this is the way it goes. Carnal Christians being disgraced, they're a stumbling block to others. I never will forget one occasion when I uh, started to witness to a storekeeper one time. And uh, uh, as I witnessed to him and told him about the Lord, told him about the church, invited him out, he's very much interested. And then when I told him about the church and I gave him the address, he looked at that card. I, I had it in my card. He looked at that card and said, oh, now, wait a minute. He said, now, I think I know some of the people that uh, go to your church. Oh, I said, is that so? Who are they? And he mentioned the name. My heart sank as soon as he said that name. Just went right, right down to my boots. As soon as he said that name, I knew that man would never come to my church. I knew it. All my witnessing was in vain. And true enough, that's the way it was. As soon as he discovered the church and he mentioned those names, he turned me off. Everything I'd said was out. Every pastor knows what I'm talking about now. That's it. That's it. I knew right away, if he knew those people, we tried to work with them for a long time with patience and understanding. But they were this, this kind of people. And they were a stumbling block to many people. I knew I'd lost this man. I wonder what's going to happen in heaven. I wonder what's going to happen when somebody has to give an account for some of this. That's right. Amen. Carnal people. Stumbling blocks to everybody around about them. Carnal man is conformed to worldly living. Verse 3 says there's among you divisions and so forth. And you walk as men. You walk as men. The Weymouth rendering says living and acting like mere men of the world. There should be a difference between the men of the world and the children of God. There should be a real difference. Amen. The line of demarcation should be clean and straight and very, very noticeable between a child of God and a worldling. The way they dress, the way they act, the way they talk, the way they live. The line should be a clear-cut line. Now it's muddy. There's all kinds of going over. The brother, I believe, Brother Westberg, in the last issue of your Kansas paper, put in a little editorial there uh, that brought out that thought that the that the that the world is getting church-minded and the church is getting worldly-minded. And there's this muddying of the water, or crossing over. The line is not clear-cut. Dear God, help us to make it a clean, clear-cut line. Amen. No crossing over. This is where carnality comes in. Amen. There should be a difference. To live like the world is a mark of carnality. Carnality is caused by carelessness and neglect of the spiritual life. Compromise, following the line of least resistance. And then finally, the carnal man produces cliques among Christians. Verse 4, one says, I'm of Apollos. Another says, I'm of Paul. Are you not carnal? Now, a clique is a party within a party. It's an off-center allegiance. Loyalty to Jesus makes for real Christian fellowship. But often the flesh picks certain men uh, as a rallying center to make that their center. And uh, cliques are the fruitage of carnality. 
The Bible says they heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears. They make themselves a little click, go off to themselves. I'm like this one, and I, this is the way I go. And another one goes in another direction. And off they go in little click, whoop, so forth. Somebody says, I'm super spiritual. We over here have a better standard than you do. And they make their little click. But the one that's closest to Jesus opens his arms and says, we want you all. And uh, bring them in. And then try to lead them on a step at a time to know the Lord in his fullness and in his glory. Hallelujah. Praise God. That doesn't mean there's any compromise. That means that we welcome them and lead them a step at a time. It isn't all done overnight. Nothing is ever done overnight. It takes patience and understanding and a depth in God. And if you'll set the example for others, it's just, as, as I said to begin with, prayer is catching. Spirituality is catching. If people really want God, you manifest God to them, they'll get hungry. They will get hungry. Hallelujah. Amen. This is where God wants his church to be. All right. So carnality is the thing that is, is so destructive to everything that we love and hold dear. So the carnal mind is enmity against God. Now, Enoch is a type of the raptured church. He pleased God. But these carnal Christians will miss the rapture because we're told in Romans 8, once again, back to this book of Rome, wonderful book of Romans and the 8th chapter, <clears throat> we're told that they that are after the flesh cannot please God. They that are after the flesh do mind, verse 5. Let's start there. For they that are after the flesh do mind or are interested in or concerned about the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Now here is the crux of the whole situation. That Christian who has grown carnal and has allowed this old nature to dominate his life, even after he received the Holy Ghost, finds himself aligned up with that which is at enmity with God. I remember that I was teaching this lesson in Oklahoma at Robert Cave State Park. Brother Sanford, were you there? No, you were in Amarillo. Somebody mentioned that. Yes, there, Brother Anderson. I was teaching this, I believe it's the same lesson. That's old, this years ago. Brother G.H. Brown from Little Rock came over one day and visited us during the course of the study. And I think it was on this same part of it, concerning carnality. He sat there, and at the close of it, he came to me and said, Brother Gray, he said, this particular part of the lesson is the most important message for Pentecost today because our churches are being filled with carnal Christians. They have never consecrated fully to God. They have never settled the issue. They've taken the course of least resistance and gradually more and more seats are being filled. Our church is getting larger and larger, but they're not being filled with spiritual people. They're being filled with carnal people. And instead of our church's size does not mean strength. Size may mean fat. I said, not always. Thank God, I believe you can have a big church and have a good, strong church. But it does not always mean that. It may mean you're fat and you've allowed everything to go on and you're really not strong spiritually. 
but that size may be fat and laziness. Amen. Oh, God, there's a hunger in my heart to see every one of us settle these questions because the choice is ours. We have a choice of being carnal or being spiritual. The choice belongs to you as an individual. I believe God looks down, his heart is grieved, broken, as he sees his church many times filled with people that are being pampered and petted and coddled along when they ought to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And go out and do a job for Jesus in these last days. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and worship the Lord together. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Oh, Jesus, we love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I know my time's not up, but I feel that I must quit here. I feel a check in the spirit about going on any further. I've got some more things I plan to say. But right now, this is what I would like. In the next few moments, I wonder if we could just stand right around this altar and say, Lord, I need to get more spiritual. I don't want to let this old natural man that I've got inside of me Keep me from being the man that God wants me to be. Would you just come up here and stand right around close? And let's surrender to the Lord all over again. Hallelujah. Oh, God, in your name, in your name, in your name. Jesus, by your spirit, Lord. Oh, by your spirit, by your spirit, by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we seek you, Lord. A hundred of hearts for you, Lord. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, there's a hundred of hearts for you, Lord. Oh,